Whoa, 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 whoa. This is what happens when you get new equipment. You have a problem with the... Here we go. Here we go. I think we're okay now. You get new equipment, you have a problem with the sound. I was all ready to start, and uh, I started to talk, and I could not hear myself, and I knew that was a bad sign, but I think everything's okay now. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friends show. Boy, I blew this one. I was all ready to just jump right in after the song was over, and then I speak and I hear nothing. It's the nightmare for any broadcaster. Uh, this is my new equipment. We ran a test show on Friday. Went well for the most part. So we're going to see how this works tonight on this show. This is the first official broadcast with the new equipment. We didn't get off to a good start, but hopefully from this point forward, it will be fine. So welcome to the Druff and Friends show. I am Todd Dan Druff us. Starting a bit late tonight, but as someone pointed out in the chat room, we're actually early if you want to still consider this show starting at 7 o'clock. But its new start time is 6.30. I was just late tonight. So that was The Midnight Hour by Wilson Pickett. You might wonder why did I choose that song. I do play oldies on here sometimes, but what significance does that song have? Well, what's the best way I can explain this? The clock is ticking. The clock is ticking about a certain matter. What matter, you might ask? Well, just get put a little happy background music here as I explain it. When you are a poker blogger or a wannabe poker news reporter, when you use that blog or use your reporting to do hit pieces on people and try to intentionally damage their reputation, you have to be very careful that before you set out maliciously to do something like that to someone, that you are ready to have the same done right back to you. You have to make sure that you are proud of everything you have done in your life and that you wouldn't mind if everyone who has ever known you will get to see your dirty laundry aired. And if you would be ashamed of certain things in your life, then you should take some care before you set out to write journalistic hit pieces on someone to damage their reputation. Basically, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. So, the clock is ticking down, and at the midnight hour... Well, I'll just let you listen to this. So that's all I'm going to say about that. Some of you have no clue what I'm talking about, but some of you definitely have a clue as to what I'm talking about. And all I can say here is I'm serious. Very serious. And when is the midnight hour going to strike? That has not been revealed yet, but it's pretty soon. And once it strikes, everything that happens can't be taken back. So I urge certain individuals to take heed of what I just said. By the way, I don't really want fights with anyone. 
you know, I've been on forums for many years. I've argued with people. I've fought with people. As far as I'm concerned, all that stuff's in the past, regardless of who was right or wrong. It's in the past now. I, I would like it to remain in the past. And as long as it does, then the people in the past and I won't have any problems. So I think people should consider that too. Anyway, let's move on with what the show should really be about. This is the Druff and Friends show. We don't have a very deep agenda tonight. We haven't for the last few weeks. This is kind of a dead time as far as poker news is concerned. Even if you go to poker news sites, such as pokernews.com or PokerFuse or FlushDraw, you go to any of those sites and you'll see even they are kind of light on news. And it's not their fault either. It's just that there has not been all that much interesting poker news recently. Someone posted in the official radio thread on this site today that I should not do a show when I don't have a very deep agenda. And I disagree. People are counting on this show once a week to appear, whether I have a ton of stuff to talk about or very little. And when I don't have that much, that's when I find ways to talk about things anyway including the Ask Dan Druff segment, where you can ask me anything in the chat room or on the phone or via text. And things like that make the show interesting, even when we don't have that many, quote, real topics to talk about. So let me give you the information on how to contact me, because there's various ways to do that tonight. If you want to call me, you can do so at 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. You have to show your caller ID or you will not get through. You can also call the Mount Charleston line, which is our 70s telephone, an old 70s rotary phone sitting on top of Mount Charleston, which is near Las Vegas. That's 702-430-1808, 702-430-1808. Finally, you can text me. You can text me. Haven't gotten any texts yet tonight, but you can text me at our main phone number. 775-372-8355 and I will read your text on the air maybe not immediately when it comes in but I will read it at some point during the show even if you text me before the show so those are the ways to get a hold of me by phone or text you can also go into the chat room on pokerfraudalert.com you need an account on the pokerfraudalert forum to go in there and I will try to read it as much as I can but since I'm doing the show by myself it is hard to read everything in the chat. So the other ways to get a hold of me are probably more reliable. We have a free roll tonight, which is starting in just five minutes, thanks to me starting the show so late. The free roll is at 7.10 Pacific time. It is on the No Fraud Online Poker Room, which is a poker room which is connected to PokerFraudAlert.com. Just go to the top of PokerFraudAlert.com and you'll see it, No Fraud Online Poker. You need a separate account there, but everything is free. You don't even need play chips to enter the free roll. The money this week, it's a $57 free roll plus five. I'll explain that in a second. The people who donated, see money the most generous donor we have, gave us $50. Crow Diddley gave us seven. And Hot Like Sauce, I don't know if he's here tonight, but if he does play, if you knock him out, you get a $5 bounty on him. So it's a 57 plus five free roll. Again, uh, if you knock out a hot like sauce, please let me know. Otherwise, the prizes are $30 for first, 
15 for second, 7 for third, 5 for fourth. These prizes were all rolled over from last week when the No Fraud Online Poker Room was down, but it is back up. And thank you to Belly Buster for generously running that. So that's the story with our free roll, and you can't get in late there. Once 710 hits, it starts and you're shut out if you have not registered yet. So make sure to register quickly. If you want to qualify for the free money, which, by the way, is real money, I'll send it to you through PayPal. I'll send it to you through checks or bank transfers. I mean, I'm talking about real cash money here that you will get if you win one of these prizes. It's not like you get some money on some crappy online poker room that may never pay you or has some kind of withdrawal limit. This is real money you'll get very quickly. But to qualify for it, you need to have registered an account on Poker Fraud Alert, and I'm talking about the forum part of it, by June 1st, 2013. So if you haven't registered yet, I suggest you go do so right now. Now, what if you registered an account here after June 1st, 2013 in the forum? Well, you can still qualify for the free money if you PM me, that's Dan Space Druff on the forum, or email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, and tell me how long you've been listening. Tell me some things you remember about the show that were not listed in the show description, and convince me you've been around for at least three weeks listening to this program, and I will give you a lifetime exception to win the money, regardless of when you were registered. But you have to do it before you play, which means within the next two minutes. So I'll extend it to 7.15 tonight because we started the show late. But no later than 7.15, the message has to be timestamped. If I've already given you permission, then no problem. You have permission for the rest of the time. So if you hear any sound problems tonight, please let me know in the chat room if the sound doesn't come out as well as it did in the past. This is new equipment. It should actually be better than it was before, and if not better, it should be at least equal. If it's worse, I want to know because then I can adjust things, and we'll see how it sounds when we get a call. It did sound pretty good on Friday when we ran the test after I did some adjustments. So here's the agenda for this week. First, I want to take a little time to call out the affiliates that are still profiting from the locked poker scam. What lock poker scam? Well, the whole site is a scam. That's what I mean. Any affiliate that is still promoting lock poker is engaging in theft. They are taking a piece of the funds that are getting stolen. It's time to call them out. Now, if I called all of them out, I'd be spending all night doing it. But I'm going to call, call out the top eight that come up on Google plus card player and... Uh, we will talk about those and why it's such a big deal to call them out. And believe it or not, the PPA and I are on the same side on this one. The PPA, or at least Rich Muni, has expressed the desire to do the same thing, which I think is great. Well, what about California and online poker in California? California is the biggest state in the U.S., 38 million people, approximately one in every nine U.S. citizens lives in California, which is pretty impressive considering that the U.S. has 50 states plus D.C. So despite 50 states, one-ninth of the population, roughly, lives in the state of California. Actually, even more than one-ninth. So California is very, very important. It's considered the grand prize for 
intrastate legalized online poker. That means online poker that you can play against other people in the state. Unlike tiny states like Delaware, where you're going to hardly have any players, California's going to have lots of players. You have 38 million people that could possibly be playing on there. Uh, There have been some efforts recently to legalize online poker in California. So I'm going to talk about two things having to do with that. Number one, whether it's going to happen and what bills are currently on the table to legalize it. And number two, Poker Stars is attempting to nose their way in and become part of the California legalized online poker scene. Very interesting. Speaking of Poker Stars, a listener gave a rebuttal to an editorial I did about Poker Stars last week. I said I don't want Poker Stars in the new U.S. legalized market. I knew this would get some people angry. And uh, a listener who calls themselves Aaron Mike Hunt responded on the forum. And I'm going to read his response, and then I will respond briefly to his response. It won't be a very long segment, but I think it's important that when I do editorials here, that if someone takes the time to type up a response, that they get heard. So I'm going to read his response to what I had to say. Well, Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid, along with one other senator, are being investigated for possibly taking online poker-related bribes prior to Black Friday. Wow. Now, it's one thing to be investigating someone like Chad Ellie, who is uh, processing payments for online poker. It's one thing to investigate someone as important as the Utah Attorney General at the time for his cooperation in that whole thing. But can you imagine the Senate Majority Leader is now under some investigation for his possible role in taking bribes? Wow. If that happens, it'll be huge. And uh, we will cover it as it occurs. I've mentioned before on this show that a telemarketing scammer named Jeremy Johnson, who was also involved in the whole online poker payment scene with Sunfirst Bank in Utah, he had accused Harry Reid's office of trying to solicit bribes from him. So I believe it was that taped statement of his that uh, has led to this investigation. So we will see, and I'll talk a bit about that. By the way, if you're going to PM me in the chat room, make sure you have a font that I can read. Some guy has like a dark red font, and it's very hard to see what he's writing to me. Um, someone who wants access to the free roll. Well, um, well, I'm always happy to have new listeners. If you just started listening, then you can't qualify this week. I'm sorry. You have to wait uh, till the third week you've been listening. That's just the policy here. So uh, I appreciate all new listeners. I just don't want the situation where someone sees that we have a free roll. They show up. They seem active in the chat and everything. And then they win and they never come back. I want to have a... I shouldn't say a loyal listenership, but at least a listenership that has listened a few times and come back without any money being attached to it. But I do appreciate all new listeners. I'm very happy to hear when people have recently found the show and have started listening. 
This is not good. Someone just texted me, the sound quality is very poor. Is this true? Do we have poor sound quality? If it's true, I will uh, adjust it. Tell me in the chat how this sounds. If we have bad sound quality, uh, I will adjust that. Someone says it's great. Well, Seriously Serious says it's great. I I think if anybody knows good sound, it's Seriously Serious. I mean, this guy is a musician. So... Says in the chat, sound is good, chat is shit. All right. Everybody in the chat says the sound is good. Thank you very much. We will continue. So I have two editorials tonight. Every week I do an editorial. I'll tell you that both editorials tonight are unlikely to get very many people angry. Unlike my editorials about Shane Schlager and his uh, crack smoking and unlike my editorial about um, poker stars and my editorial about Obamacare, this these two editorials I'm doing tonight are not likely to get a lot of people angry. Editorial number one is about general gambling, poker and other gambling. And the title of this editorial is very simple. As gamblers are getting dumber, which they are, by the way, the players suffer as a whole. I will explain what I mean by that when we get to the editorial. As gamblers are getting dumber, the players suffer as a whole. Editorial number two. If somebody you know in poker is stalling paying you money that they owe you, my feeling is that you should call them out and call them out now. I don't mean if they've owed you money for a few days, but if you have gotten to strongly suspect that they're never going to pay you and that they're stalling and stalling and stalling and they're lying to you, then calling them out is the best thing you can do, even though you are risking pissing them off and having them never paying you. So I will explain why I think that's the right thing to do in most circumstances. Only a few other circumstances is it not correct. I will give a short Ken Scaler update. Really weird story. Uh, he has a roommate who stole $500 from him. And what was really frustrating for Ken is this is the rent money. The roommate actually gave him rent money and then stole it back. But in a weird twist, without Ken ever even telling the guy that he thought he stole it, the guy has been paying him back the money he stole. Yeah, you heard that right. So I'll tell you that little weird story that's going on in Ken Scaler's life. Dutch Boyd, I, I don't want to spend too much time on Dutch Boyd. We talked about this before, but he collected almost $9,000, I believe, from Kickstarter.com to fund his book that he's going to be releasing. And that was almost a year ago. It still has not been released. It is many months late. And I'm wondering if it will ever be released. And I'm just going to give my opinion at the same time, as I'm talking about that, of Kickstarter in general. I think Kickstarter is basically a scam. And when I say a scam, I don't mean Kickstarter itself is scamming people, but I, I think that it is used by scammers, and I think it's a dumb concept. I think if you give someone money on Kickstarter, you're making a big mistake, and I'll explain. I guess you can kind of call that editorial number three. And finally, Ask Dan Druff. People in the chat room 
or you can call me, or you can text me questions, and I will answer almost anything. When I say almost, I mean if it's too personal or too private, I can't answer, but I will try to answer everything. And you've heard on the last few shows, I really have answered a lot of questions, including some personal ones. So that's our agenda tonight here on the Druff and Friend show, Poker Fraud Alert Radio. We will have other shows here shortly, including a Brown 83 show, which I look forward to. So let's just jump right in and go to the first topic we have. That is, once again, about lock poker, but not specifically about them. Now, if you recall from last week's show, lock poker has started a new site that's a skin on their own network called Superwinds. It's very clearly lock if you... Look at the thread on the Scam Scandals and Shadiness Forum. You will see all the evidence that Superwinds is really lock. And the reason that's pretty bad is that a lot of people have learned to avoid lock. And lock has a pretty bad name now, but Superwinds, up until we started publishing, when I say we, I don't just mean this site, I mean others who have been trying to get lock poker to go away. Uh, the lock poker watchdogs have been publicizing the super win situation, but had we not done that, then a lot of people would have been fooled and deposited into this new site that seemed like, uh, I shouldn't say it was trustworthy, but at the very least wasn't untrustworthy. But in reality, it's lock trying to steal more money from you. Now, that's week old news. It, it, the story about that just broke last week, right before we did the show. And I spent some good time on it. I'm not going to spend time talking about super wins again. But I'm going to talk about the affiliates who are still promoting lock despite everything that's happened. I think it's time that they get called out. And I think it's time that the people running these affiliates, especially on the affiliates that are not uh, lock poker specific, ones that uh, are general affiliates and are respected, I think it's important that everyone starts giving them a hard time about this. So I did a simple Google search. By the way, if you're not really familiar with the term, an affiliate is basically an advertiser for you that uh, collects a piece of of whatever profits you make of people that come through your ad. So basically what's, what I'm trying to say here is that an affiliate is a website that advertises a poker site. Someone clicks on the link, they go to the poker site, they download the software. If they deposit real money and rake gets taken out of the pots they win, a certain percentage of the rake goes to the website that was advertising them. Now, these are typically not paid ads otherwise. So people put up free ads for these sites knowing that they will get a piece of the rake of whoever clicks on those ads and signs up and plays for real money. That's what an affiliate is. There's been a lot of money, a lot of money, in the affiliate business for online poker over the years. In fact, I wish I got into it back when it was easier to get into and back when there was more money in it. These days, if you're not already really established, there's not much money because uh, there's just too many affiliates and not enough online poker customers, and people tend to flock to the affiliates that are the biggest. But some affiliates are so greedy that despite being very aware 
of what's going on at Lock Poker. Basically, they're not paying anyone. Basically, Lock Poker is a scam. They're happy to take your deposits, but they will never pay you. You can't ever cash out. So it's basically just a scam. Money goes in and doesn't go out. A tiny bit of money does not come out. I mean, a tiny bit of money comes out every so often, but uh, it's pretty safe to say that if you put money on lock poker, if you have money on lock poker, it's not getting off, especially if you live in the U.S. And lock poker is a U.S.-facing room, and most of the players on there are from the U.S. There are cash outs that are pending since 2012 on lock poker. Can you imagine? You, you cashed out in 2012, and here we are in March 2014, and you still don't have your money. <laughs> I mean, no, that's not. Don't laugh. It's not a laughing matter. That's a an obnoxious matter to be truth truthful here. So, affiliates should not be directing their customers to a site like Lock Poker. They have some responsibility here to direct their website visitors to poker sites that they think will pay people. Now, I'm not saying they should guarantee every room that they advertise because they only have so much visibility into what's going on. They don't have proof that any of these sites are going to actually pay. But once they know that a site has not been paying, once they know that a site is a big scam, that's when they should take it down. If you don't know either way, then it's not so bad. Personally, I like to know the sites I'm advertising are legit, but if you don't know either way, it's not terrible. If you do know and still direct people to those sites, not only is it terrible, but you are committing theft as well. You are a very strong accomplice to that theft if you are getting a piece of the stolen money, which all of these affiliates are. So I googled Lock Poker. Got Lock Poker Rakeback, actually, is what I googled. And I got a list of the top eight affiliates for Lock Poker. When I say top eight, I mean just what comes up on Google for the top eight results that aren't Lock Poker itself. I'm going to shame all of them here. And if you're a member of this affiliate, if you are getting money from them, if you're signed up with them, you should raise hell. You should send them a message and say, why are you still taking customers for Lock Poker? Why are you having your own customers deposit money onto Lock Poker knowing they will never get it back? Why are you getting a piece of the stolen money from Lock Poker? I demand that you take Lock Poker down, or I'm going to go to a different affiliate that already has done so. And believe me, they'll listen because unless you're a very small fish for them and you barely generate any rake, they're not going to want to lose you. I'm not saying they're going to jump through hoops for you, but if enough people do this, they will. So the one that comes up, number one, rakebrain.com. Rakebrain.com is still advertising lock poker with no sort of warning. It looks like it's a completely safe place to play if you don't know better and go to Rakebrain. It says, lock poker U.S. players welcome. Rakebrain offers the highest lock poker cash back. Sign up today and receive a 150% sign-up bonus up to $750, as well as almost 60% VIP equivalent cash back. Sounds like a great deal until lock doesn't pay you. So that's rake brain. Next, high stakes DB. Wow, you know high stakes DB. It's a database of uh, high stakes action on the internet. A lot of people actually use it for that, not really for affiliate stuff. A lot of people respect high stakes DB. Well, high stakes DB is also a lock affiliate. 
So I would contact them. Tell them how disappointed you are that they are offering lock poker in addition to tracking high-stakes tables. Very bad. If you go to high-stakes DB, this is what it says. 36% rake back and 200% up to $4,000 bonus. They even have their own code. Lock Poker entered the market in 2010 and is growing explosively ever since. Yeah, it's growing explosively, all right. And actually, it's not. It's kind of more of an implosion. <laughs> it's a pretty dead sight, honestly, now. That's why they're starting Super Wins, because nobody wants to play there anymore. Since nobody's getting paid. But yeah, they've, uh, grow- they're growing explosively ever since. On June 1st, 2012, Lock Poker migrated to the Revolution Network after a one-year tenure on the Merge Network. Uh, blah, 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 blah. And it actually still implies they're on Revolution, which is funny because it's not. So definitely call out uh, High Stakes DB. Very shameful that they are offering Lock. Rake Me Back. RakeMeBack.com, another one offering Lock Poker. And if you click on their Lock Poker deal, oh, wait a minute, maybe not anymore. Looks like a blank page now. Not good. Never mind. Unless something is wrong, if you go to the Lock Poker page on Rake Me Back, it is now blank. It was not just a few days ago. It's great. Maybe maybe since I posted this, someone gave them a hard time. All right, that's that's good to hear. Rake Back Nation. Oh, they took it down to wow. Wow. You know what? I feel, uh, I'm starting to feel powerful here. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's hard to believe this is a coincidence. I posted this list. Maybe the PPA has released this. I don't know. The, uh, Rich Muni of the PPA said this before I posted the list. He posts on Poker Fraud Alert uh, occasionally. He said, I've included warnings about lock poker in some of the PPA weekly updates. Anyone have a list of sites with lock or related banners? So I posted this list. Maybe he reposted it, and maybe uh, maybe some of these places have listened. Very nice. So I posted this list on March 15th, just three days ago. I didn't even think to check if they're still up. So Rakeback Nation, they've done the right thing finally, too. Though, honestly, these sites should have done the right thing a long time ago. All these sites, believe me, were aware of it. Oh, wow. LockPokerBonus.com has even taken down their page. Hmm. Now, how could LockPokerBonus have its own page down? Now, that's weird. Because I, I just, I guess they changed their URL. So, LockPokerBonus, obviously. I knew LockPokerBonus.com had to still be offering <laughs> Uh, a lock poker bonus that would be pretty amazing if they took it down but yeah it's if you just go to lockpokerbonus.com you'll see that uh, that's still offered okay poker.org i wonder how much they spent to get that url poker.org they still have their banner up poker.org about lock poker one of the fastest rising online poker rooms located in u.s friendly revolution networks so they're still talking about the revolution network but nonetheless they're still offering rake back for lock poker the current lock poker so call them out 
Someone saying high stakes DB doesn't have any lock advertisements. They may, you know, there may not be advertisements for them, but if you Google lock poker rakeback, you'll see them right there. So I, that doesn't impress me if they don't have any directly on the site. If Googling lock poker rakeback still brings it up, so you should definitely still bring that to their attention. I guess it's possible maybe they took it down and forgot to take down that page, but I doubt it. Poker.com, I'm not sure if it's related to Poker.org, but they also offered Lock Poker, this time a 200% deposit bonus up to $1,200. Lock Poker is dedicated to providing a friendly environment to aspiring poker players, and that shows with a 35% rakeback deal. (laughs) Right. Yeah, friendly environment provided that uh, you don't mind not getting paid. Provided you don't mind getting cheated. It's very friendly. They're friendly while they steal your money. That's very nice of them. So that's uh, poker.com. Pokersites.us. They still have their lock poker link up. Oh, okay. Well, I'll give a caveat with this one. They, they should just take the whole thing down. But honestly, uh, at least they have a warning, which they just put up. It says, March 2014, warning, poker players at lock are currently reporting extremely delayed cash-out times. We strongly advise you to look at another room in our list of poker sites. Um, Underneath, you can find our old lock poker review where this warning was not yet taken into consideration. Well, forget the warning. Take the whole thing down. I, I think that's just really weak to say something like that. What that means is we still want to make money off of lock poker signups, we still want a piece of your rake, even though you're never going to get paid, and we're going to cover our asses by putting this little warning up there, which is very new. It says March 2014. I didn't see it three days ago. They must have just slapped this up. So, those are the eight, but of course I have to mention the other two that are probably most important. One of them is Cardplayer.com, the official site for Cardplayer magazine. They have taken down their print ads for Lock Poker from the actual Cardplayer magazine. They have taken down their Lock banners, and I assume Lock Poker was paying them directly for those banners and for the print ads. I assume Lock Poker can't even afford to do that anymore. But they are still running a Lock Poker affiliate deal. Go to cardplayer.com. If you go to the left side, you will see it says Lock Poker up to $4,000 bonus. And you click on it, and it takes you to the page with no warnings whatsoever as to what is going on in Lock. So Card Player is still happy to have its readers have their money stolen by Lock Poker, provided Card Player gets a piece of it. And the powers that be at Card Player, these Shulmans, have been made very aware as to what's going on, and I know this because I told Jeff Shulman personally in great detail in May of 2013. I was sitting with him at a poker table in the Bellagio, and I told him very specifically what's going on there, and he promised to look into it. And after looking into it, 10 months later, they are still offering lock affiliate deals, and they still had their lock poker print ads and banners on the site until a few months ago. Shameful card player. Shameful. And finally, PokerNewsBoy.com. Poker Newsboy that took the Super Wins ad 
They were the only Super Wins affiliate until they were shamed out of doing so. They took down Super Wins, saying that uh, privately telling someone that it seemed kind of shady. So they didn't feel comfortable promoting Super Wins because they were suspicious that Super Wins and Lock were the same thing, and the owner of Poker Newsboy just didn't feel good about that. But, but, they do feel very good about giving Lock Poker a 10 out of 10 review. (laughs) That's on Poker Newsboy. If you go to Lock Poker, reviewed 10 out of 10. That means Lock Poker is perfect. How do you get 10 out of 10 if you don't pay anyone? How do you get 10 out of 10 if there's cash outs pending since 2012? How do you get 10 out of 10 if the whole site's a scam? Somehow, Poker Newsboy thinks that's worth 10 out of 10. I'd hate to see what 1 out of 10 is. I, I guess on the Poker Newsboy scale, if you're locked poker, you get 10 out of 10. And uh, you get 9 out of 10 if you show up at the homes of your players and murder them in their sleep. That would be 9 out of 10 under the Poker Newsboy scale. So lock poker, 10 out of 10, with a sign-up bonus, 200% of, you know, up to $4,000. And they are very, very aware, because one of their former writers, Steve Ruddock, also known as Steve-O, went to the owner of Poker Newsboy, whose name is uh, uh, Jerry, how do you pronounce his name? I don't want to get this wrong. Let me see. Jerry... uh, Polatrack or Polterak. Jerry Polterak is the owner of Poker Newsboy. He's also the lock affiliate manager. Surprise, surprise. And he has not taken down the lock banner. Despite having all of the information presented personally to him as to what lock poker is doing, Jerry Polterak still wants lock to steal your money. He runs pokernewsboy.com and pokerforums.org. Both should be avoided. And that's the actual featured room on Poker Newsboy. If you go to Poker Newsboy, you will see, PokerNewsboy.com, you will see featured room lock poker, $4,000 bonus. Absolutely disgusting, Jerry Polterak. Nobody should have anything to do with anything Jerry Polterak does. You should just completely avoid all of his projects. Don't post on his forum. Don't sign up through his affiliate deals, even if it's not about lock poker. Just stay away from this guy. He's bad news. Now, there are many others. If I Google right now, Lock Poker Rake Back, and skip past the ones I already mentioned, let's see what we have here. We have GetRakeBack.org. We have UnitedStatesForPoker.net. Well, at least it says Lock Poker Do Not Play on that one. Um, TheNuts.com. ProfessionalRakeBack.com. Well, at least they have a bad grade for lock on there. Uh, US Poker Sites 2014.com. I'm just reading off Google here. They still have a lock banner right there. I'm looking at it right now. So those are some others. You can see them if you just go Google Lock Poker Rakeback. It's very shameful. All of those affiliates are stealing. They are getting a piece of your rake that comes from your deposit. So you can't cash out. So they are accomplices in this scam. They are getting a piece of the stolen money. 
And they should be made aware that the poker community is not going to take that and that we see them as thieves and we know that they are thieves and they will be treated as thieves when we see them. So just wanted to call those out and uh, I don't know if the PPA has released their list of affiliates yet, but uh, props to them for getting involved here. I, I wish they did the same with UB back when UB was still running, but, you know, better late than never. I'm glad that uh, the PPA is jumping aboard and warning its membership about sites like Lock Poker. That's great. And uh, rather than live in the past, I'm, uh, I'm happy that they've kind of changed their focus to include things like this in addition to fighting for the legalization of online poker. So that's nice to see. Well, speaking of online poker legalization, poker stars, actually, I'll get to that in a second. Uh, California has two bills currently on the table, two state bills, to legalize online poker and keep all other forms of online gambling illegal. New Jersey, you can actually play a lot of different games online. Through casino, you can play casino games online in New Jersey. Nevada, you can't; it's only online poker. California, nothing is legal right now. But there are two bills on the table that will make poker only legal and everything else explicitly illegal. The big difference, however, is the fact that one of the bills has what's known as a bad actor clause, and the other one does not. So, California. I mean, it, it matters personally to me because of all this time I spend in California. And it also matters to the nation. It's a very, very big deal. If you have legalized online poker in California, if suddenly more than one-ninth of the country can play legalized online poker, that will really be a huge influence on the rest of the country and more and more states will jump in. It's one thing for a small state like Nevada to do it, or a small state like Delaware to do it, a medium state like New Jersey to do it, but a huge state like California with 38 million people, not only will that be great for California that its residents can play online poker legally against other California residents, but it'll be great for the country as once the biggest state has gotten on board, I believe many others will follow. Now, I'm not saying these two bills will pass. They may die. They probably will die, but it's a good start. The two bills are AB2291 from Assemblymember Reginald Jones Sawyer and SB1366, sponsored by State Senator Lou Correa. These are two different bills. They're similar in that they both are not allowing other forms of casino gambling, and that is to protect the Indian tribes in their casinos, but allowing online poker. Poker is not very big in the Indian casinos. If you go to any of these Indian casinos, yeah, they have a poker room, but the vast, vast majority of their profits come from the casino portion. So they don't mind that much, even if the poker players stay home. They just don't want their brick-and-mortar business hurts, so there's no way they would ever want online gaming that is other than internet poker, but 
they're okay with online gaming that is just internet poker. So the bill calls for a prohibition of gambling outside of internet poker, but it makes internet poker legal. Now, I'm talking about uh, AB2291 now, by the way, the one introduced by uh, Reginald Jones Sawyer. And I'll explain what the big controversy is involving poker stars in a second. Now, a two-thirds majority is required in both houses of the state of California for it to pass. So it can't just get a majority vote. It has to get a two-thirds vote, which is tough. And the second bill, the SB 1366, actually calls for regulations to be adopted within 120 days of the date of the bill, which would mean it'll happen pretty fast. But the difference between the two bills is that the Reginald Jones Sawyer bill, this AB 2291, is uh, that one has the bad actor clause, and the Korea bill doesn't. And not surprisingly, Poker Stars is very anti the bad actor clause. Sorry if you hear me drinking. I see S double is in the chat. S double is an old school, old school, poker stars player. I remember seeing him like in two thousand three. The text number, by the way, seven seven five three seven two eight three five five seven seven five three seven two eight three five five. I see this being asked for in the chat. But anyway, poker stars wants into California really badly for obvious reasons. They could not get into New Jersey because New Jersey does have a bad actor uh, clause in their licensing requirements. And what a bad actor clause is, it's basically saying if you have broken laws in the recent past, you're not going to get a license. So Poker Stars has broken laws. Because they were continuing to offer online poker for real money to U.S. residents after the passage of the UIGEA in 2006, and they continued to offer it until Black Friday, April 15, 2011. So they definitely broke the law. There's no question about that. And for that reason, they could not get a license in New Jersey. So they want, in California, to get a license, and they won't if there's any kind of bad actor provision in the bill. They'll be banned again. But if there's not a bad actor provision, then they might be able to get a license to operate in California. Now, how will they operate? These poker stars doesn't own any casino in California. California, it's only Indian casinos. Well, Casino Morongo, which is a large Southern California casino, kind of near Palm Springs, is apparently attempting a partnership with poker stars. So, If there is online poker in California and you go to the Casino Morongo online poker room, you'll be playing on PokerStars software and PokerStars may actually be managing it. They just won't be owning it. The ownership will be Morongo. The license will be Morongo. But it'll be PokerStars software and very possibly PokerStars managing it. But PokerStars still 
needs to be able to get a license to provide this software. And while California does not yet have a legalized market, a lot of Indian casinos are getting ready for this. So, PokerStars is is trying, along with Morongo, to support the bill that does not have the bad actor clause, and that's the one by uh, this Korea guy. So, that's what's going on in California. It's not clear if either of these bills will get anywhere. There's a good chance they won't. JSTAT saying in the chat, I think Zynga has a chance to operate internet poker in California since they are based in San Francisco. I don't know. Uh, It depends upon what the requirements are to get a license in California. If it is that you have to run an existing casino, then Zynga will be left out because Zynga, I mean, I guess maybe they can provide the software or something, but they cannot run their own room since there is no Zynga Casino in California. But if you just have to be a California-based business, then maybe. I also don't know if rooms like the Commerce Casino, which are not uh, actual casinos but card rooms, if they will get a license. I assume they probably would. I think it would be unfair to shut out Commerce but allow the Indian casinos to run online poker when Commerce is actually a poker room. So I, I don't know if either of these bills allow for that. I haven't read the full bills, and they've been around since, like, I think February 24th has almost been uh, a month. They may go nowhere. But I'll be watching. If I had to predict it, I would say they're going to go nowhere. Both of them will. But it is interesting that uh, Poker Stars is already getting involved. And Poker Stars is pushing the bill without the bad actor clause. Very interesting. So, I've also heard that, uh, so yeah, here's some interesting pieces of news for California online poker. Pala, which has a casino in northern San Diego County, is right down the street from the Harris Rincon property. Paula has already hired B-Win, former BWIN Party CEO Jim Ryan, and Phil Ivey has already signed on with them to be the face of the Paula online poker room. Interesting, right? Because uh, it's not even legal yet in California. So these rooms are already getting ready. In fact, it kind of makes me want to contact some of them and see if they need a poker room manager or director of uh, software development. I'm not even kidding. JSTAT says in chat, California is so divided with online poker, don't think legalization has a chance this year. I agree. They can't even get together with one bill. They've got uh, two competing bills, one with a bad actor provision, one without it. That's from the chat room I'm reading. 
775-3752-8355. You can text that number two if you want to communicate with me. Let me read some of the texts I've already received during this show. This text from the 205 area code, the sound is very poor. Maybe my computer, but my sound is off. Oh, wait a minute. If your sound is off, how can you hear anything? For the 954 area code, Jenny Larson and I, that's uh, Lock Poker CEO Jen Larson, are getting married this summer. Will you be one if my best will you be one of my best men at the wedding? This guy misspelled what he's trying to write, but I'm reading what he's meaning to write. Let me know. Will you be one of my best men at the wedding? Let me know. Huh. Maybe. Maybe. You know, I might actually be your best man if you're marrying Jen Larson, so I can confront her in person, right, at the wedding. When they say does anybody among us have any objections to unite this couple in holy matrimony? I will stand up and say, I object unless Jen Larson pays every single person that she owes on lock poker. This woman is a thief. See, so yeah, I'll be your best man. All right, so uh, this text came in from the 410 area. I have a huge Jewish erection right now. That's very nice. Another text from 410. Hey, Druff, Scotch line here. That's a S double, by the way. What can I learn about PLO by calling in? Well, this isn't a poker tutorial show. And even if it was, I'm not a good PLO player. You might want to contact PLOL. I think maybe he can help you. PLOL on the site. He can help you with that and uh, maybe other things, depending upon what you're interested in. Those are our texts, 775-372-8355. you want to text me. Moving on to our next topic. Well, a listener gave a rebuttal last week, or to, sorry, this listener gave a rebuttal today to last week's editorial about poker stars. Last week's editorial was me saying, I don't want poker stars in the legalized U.S. market, and my reasoning was that I didn't like the way they handled both the FPP situation when Black Friday occurred, how they cheated me and other people out of a lot of money with the FPP redemption. And also, I didn't like the way they handled the EPT Barcelona scandal, where the hotel was very clearly involved in assisting criminals in breaking into rooms and tampering with laptops to install Trojans on there to look at people's whole cards. And after that happened, and after PokerStars failed to get any any answers as to who at the hotel was guilty of that and how deep it ran, they are returning to the same hotel in 2014, as if it all didn't happen, and putting their players in danger once again. And they tried to cover the whole thing up from the second it started happening, by the way. So I said, screw poker stars. I don't trust them. I don't want them in the U.S. market. This is exactly the type of company I don't want to see in the U.S. And I believed that the reason they paid out the U.S. players was because it made business sense to do so. 
because they knew if they paid out the U.S. players, it would look great to the non-U.S. players that you can trust them, and they could keep doing business, and eventually they would make back all the money that they paid out to the U.S. players. In fact, they probably made it back already. They're doing very well. So I said, I don't want them in the U.S. market. I think they're too shady. I don't like what they've done. They've had a chance and all they, you know, whenever they have the shot, they, they screw us. They screw us provided they feel that screwing us is the right business decision. They didn't screw us on Black Friday because that would have been the wrong business decision. That was my editorial last week. Well, this is what one of our listeners wrote back. I want to give equal time to other points of view. So I'm going to read what he wrote. I got a chance to listen to last week's radio last night and just wanted to comment on the editorial Druff gave regarding poker stars. Just a minor note you made regarding the software at the beginning. You stated that PokerStars 2003 software is better than all current software with the exception of maybe Party Poker. That made me laugh as Party Poker is literally the second worst software behind Ultimate Poker, but that's minor, not an important point. I can't disagree with your assessments of how PokerStars handled both the FPP situation and Barcelona as I agree both were wrong in both instances. However, I think you are severely nitpicking with regards to PokerStars. This is interesting. This is someone who actually agrees with my statements about what PokerStars has done wrong, but at the same time thinks I'm going too far as to the consequences they should suffer. So he goes on to write, To play devil's advocate, however, on the FPP issue, as a high-volume player like myself, I have to say that PokerStars took care of me with the milestone bonuses they offered. For every 100k VPPs you earned, you were given a cash bonus. On Black Friday, I was around 250k for the year. The 300k milestone would have earned me 3,000. Now, they could have came to the same solution that they did regarding FPPs and given me nothing for my progress. However, since I was about 50% there, they gave me 50% of the 3,000. I felt that this was great on their part and something that they didn't have to do. I'm sure if you add up how much they gave out with this aspect and compare how much they saved by not giving full FPP rates, whether one outweighs the other. Well, I, I can just stopping here. I can say that by far they made much, they saved much more on the FPP thing than they gave out in situations like these where they were generous. I promise you that they they made somewhere between one cent and twenty four dollars and ninety nine cents from every single customer or almost every single customer for uh, 99.99 something percent of their customers that's how much they made somewhere between 1 cent and 24.99 an average of about 12.50 from each person of all their customers in the US can you imagine how much they made from these FPPs they they confiscated and that doesn't even consider the fact that uh, they were only that's considering that they're worth 1 cent when they were really worth 1.6 cents But he goes on to write, I just think it's wrong to say they cut all corners. Second point regarding software advantage they have, you make it seem as if all the U.S. sites were started from scratch. With the exception of Ultimate Poker, all the other software being used has existed for a long time before and isn't starting from scratch. Therefore, PokerStars doesn't have some competitive advantage in regards to their software. You made a statement that other sites in particular, Party Poker, haven't conducted themselves in the shady manner PokerStars has. I don't fault you for not being informed, but Party Poker did something far worse than the FPP thing in regards to their VIP program. I never played much on Party, but did for a few months when I moved out of the U.S. 
They had a VIP program set up, and their top level was Palladium Elite. They decided to remove this level and its perks basically overnight and not give players that were close enough that were close enough time to use all the points they saved up. Wow. They offered 20k and 75k poker bonuses and a 50k instant cash offer. You had to save up your points from the start to get to these, so people who had been saving up their points for a year were screwed. Okay. I take back what I said about party poker then. I guess they're pretty shady too. They also had the whole table segregation plot to prevent winning players from playing fish. That isn't shady. I just really think you're nitpicking regarding poker stars. And if you look at all the other companies that have licenses, you can find issues as bad, if not worse, than PokerStars has committed. So basically, by your logic, nobody should be granted a license. Which, by that logic, everyone should be like Ultimate Poker and start from scratch. This would provide you with your fair level playing field, but inconveniences the players, which by far should be the number one concern. The player experience and satisfaction should be number one criteria, which is why PokerStars should be allowed to get a license. They are simply the best, and the market should be offered the best. That simple. So, okay, you know, good editorial. Uh, what I have to say back to the second half of what you wrote there, I already kind of commented on the first half. Um, if I agree about the party poker thing. I guess that they did more shady things than I was aware of. Uh, the segregation thing they did, I, I think that was sort of shady, but not that terrible. I mean, yeah, they were segregating fish from the good players and trying to hide that they were doing it, but that's not equivalent to stealing. That's just kind of a hiding part of their player pool, which I don't support and I think was crappy, but uh, I don't think that's the same as the stuff Stars did with the FPP and with the uh, EPT Barcelona stuff, which included uh, you know stealing FPPs and being complicit in allowing a hotel to basically steal from PokerStars players that were staying there. Regarding his last point, which I think is his best point, is that uh, pretty much all the companies have some kind of baggage, and if I don't want any of them in the U.S. market, then I don't want anybody in the U.S. market, and everybody would have to start from scratch, which means the software would suck, kind of like Ultimate Poker software sucks. Well, you know, if all of these sites are really that shady, then I think that's what should be done. I can't say that we should allow shady companies into the legalized U.S. market just because they had the head start to develop software. And he's right about one thing. It's not just uh, poker stars that would have the head start. It's pretty much you know all the sites that are using existing developed software from other platforms, you know, 888 or Party or whatever, uh, they had a head start too. And these companies are now benefiting – I'm saying like 888 and Party, for providing the software that they only have because they were existing in an illegal market. While the casinos in the U.S. did not develop such software because it wasn't legal to offer these games and it wasn't worth their while at the time to develop such a complicated and expensive piece of software. So yeah, I think they probably should start from scratch. Or, you know, I wouldn't even mind if they were able to buy the software from these companies, but then the companies are out of the market forever. Yeah, they'd still make some money, but at least I know they're not in the market anymore. They're gone. They've sold their software, and they're gone. 
I think that would be a good middle ground. I wouldn't even mind so much if PokerStars sold their software for use by Casino Morongo or who, who, you know, whoever. I just don't want them managing any U.S. online poker room. I don't think they deserve it after the way they behaved. I just hate a company being led into the market who stole from and abused players. And poker stars did steal with the FPP thing. They really did. I explained it last week. The EPT Barcelona thing, they're walking people right back into a hotel which was dangerous and where laptop tamperings and thefts occurred with the hotel's blessing. Not management's blessing, but security's blessing, apparently. Someone in the hotel was in cahoots. PokerStars never found out who. PokerStars didn't care who. PokerStars tried to cover the whole thing up. It's terrible. Someone is saying in the chat, Stars is less shady than any U.S. gambling company. I don't agree. I don't agree. Which U.S. gambling company is more shady than Stars? I've seen incompetence. <laughs> I've seen incompetence in uh, the U.S. gambling uh, market, but I, I'm not seeing in the current 2014 U.S. gambling market any egregious shady behavior. Danny Deadwood saying in chat, Poker Stars broke the law. It's like robbing a bank and only penalty is giving the money back. And that's true, too. I said that last week also, that it's really just not fair that they made all this money all that time providing illegal online poker and now get to make more money because they were making all that money before. And now they're you know, the farthest out. They're the most advanced. I just think they should press the damn reset button. Everybody write their own software or if necessary, buy software from existing companies and just flesh out the entire illegal online poker market. Because look, let me tell you the truth here. Any company that was willing to break U.S. law to offer these games, even though I like the fact that they did it as a poker player, if you're willing to do that, if you're willing to go as far to break U.S. law and take the big risk in breaking U.S. law, uh, that's usually indicative of a character to where you're willing to do other illegal things that aren't victimless crimes like offering online poker. And that's the problem. I just don't trust any of those companies. So. That's how I feel. But good response to my editorial. Let's talk about... uh, Harry Reid, this is an interesting story. Um, The Black Friday busts that happened on April 15, 2011 were really centered around a bank called Sunfirst Bank. Sunfirst Bank was processing payments for Poker Stars and Full Tilt. It is based in St. George, Utah, which is uh, about an hour out of Vegas, but it's in Utah, not Nevada. 
And uh, Sunfirst Bank was kind of in the center of all the Black Friday bus. But there was more going on in the state of Utah having to do with both the online poker thing and a very, very big telemarketing scam. There's a guy named Jeremy Johnson who is accused of scamming $750 million through various telemarketing scams. Jeremy Johnson operated out of Utah. Jeremy Johnson reportedly had very close ties to Utah Attorney General John Swallow. So there were investigations into John Swallow and his ties to uh, Jeremy Johnson. And in fact, there is a tape that Jeremy Johnson secretly made. Remember when uh, Russ Hamilton secretly made his tapes when he went and talked to uh, various people at UB and we heard those last year? when those got released by Travis McCarr. Well, Jeremy Johnson also taped himself. He taped himself uh, meeting with John Swallow and where this ties into online poker is that Jeremy Johnson was an online poker payment processor. He worked with Chad Ellie, who we had on this show uh, last year. Actually, we had him on in uh, 2012, I think. But uh, Chad Ellie, you know, he went to prison for his role in processing online poker payments. And uh, Jeremy Johnson, he has never been charged, curiously, for his whole situation with the online poker payment processing, but he has enough trouble with all the charges against him related to the telemarketing scamming. So where this ties into online poker and Harry Reid and another uh, U.S. senator named Mike Lee from Utah is that um, because of these Jeremy Johnson tapes, there's now suspicion that this scandal really reaches pretty deep into some very important people's offices. And I'm talking about the online poker-related stuff. Now, this comes from poker news reporter Haley Hintz, not from pokernews.com. She used to work for them, but she runs uh, fleshdraw.net. It's a good site for poker news, especially legalization stuff. And she wrote a good article about this, I think, today or yesterday. It's written yesterday. But she wrote, Former Attorney General Swallow was the subject of a 206-page special investigation report authorized by the Utah House of Representatives, which was released on Tuesday. According to the report, Swallow participated in eight different criminal activities, on mo- most on multiple occasions, and essentially hung a for sale sign on the door of the Utah Attorney General's office. So, of course, he didn't really have a for sale sign, but they're saying it was a, uh, a virtual for sale sign where basically if you bribe the guy, you could get anything done you wanted, legal or illegal. And, uh, and basically bribing the Attorney General is always illegal. But... Uh, This corruption investigation is now also extending to the alleged online poker links to Harry Reid and Senator Mike Lee out of Utah. And Harry Reid is, of course, the Senate Majority Leader out of Nevada. 
even though the U.S. Department of Justice is not getting involved. They really should, but they're not. Now, in the tapes of Jeremy Johnson, and I played them once on this show. I don't have them ready right now, but I've played them before on this show. Jeremy Johnson actually talked about how Harry Reid was um, taking bribes from him indirectly. He didn't give the bribes directly to Harry Reid. But uh, this tape, which was released to the Salt Lake City Tribune, had uh, Johnson, had a third party, uh, basically take money from Johnson, I think $600,000, to give to Harry Reid. And to where this was uh, able to work and to where Reid couldn't try to deny it is that um, Reid never promised Johnson anything directly. It was the third party told Johnson that uh, if you give me this money, then I'll bring it to Reid and and Reid will will stop the investigation or he'll he'll try to put some pressure into stopping the investigation – on um, on your activities, and that includes the the Sunfirst Bank stuff. So uh, that part of the story is old news that Jeremy Johnson alleges this, and that his tape does show that you know on the tape he, that he's talking about this. But uh, it's not one hundred percent clear if Reed was really doing this, or if this third party was just saying this to him. Or maybe taking the money and uh, you know bringing it elsewhere, but there have been rumors for years and years that Reed has been corrupt and Reed has taken bribes. Reed was actually very unpopular and almost lost his last election in 2010. Reed only won re-election because the Republican candidate against him was terrible. It was a crazy woman named Sharon Angle. And had a different candidate been elected in the primary to face Reed, uh, there was Coach Tarkanian's son and uh, another woman running. If either of them had been elected in the primary, then even though ne- even though neither of those two candidates were that exciting, they would have beaten Reed because he was so unpopular. But Reed won because his competition was so terrible. He was against a terrible, crazy Tea Party lately lady. But there have been rumors for years and years and years that Reed has taken bribes from people. So I totally believe this. So we will see what happens. Because even though the U.S. Attorney General's office is not investigating this, Utah is. This investigation is authorized by the Utah House of Representatives. In the meantime, John Swallow may face criminal charges including bribery, obstruction of justice, official misconduct, theft of services, evidence tampering, witness tampering, engaging in a pattern of unlawful activity, and violating the Utah Government Records Access and Management Act. This guy was really bad news to John Swallow, and he, uh, he, he was seen in a number of pictures with Jeremy Johnson. Now, here's the passage of the tape, which actually mentions uh, Full Tilt's Ray Batar, the former CEO of Full Tilt, and PPA Executive Director John Pappas. 
Um, this was Johnson and Swallow talking. This is on the tape. Johnson saying, we had a meeting where Reed's, with Reed where he said, this is a private meeting. It was Reed. It was me. It was, remember John Pappas? Remember him? PPA guy? Remember him? And Swallow says, oh, yeah. And Johnson says, John Pappas and Ray Batar, the owner of Full Tilt. And Swallow says, what's that? Johnson says, the owner of Full Tilt Poker. And Swallow says, yeah. Johnson says, uh, Senator Reed, this is when he, it was a tight election with this lady down there, referring to Sharon Angle. And Swallow says, yeah. And Johnson says, real tight. And Swallow says, yeah, Sharon Angle. And Johnson says, and he said, look, I've polled my constituents. They don't like online poker. Bottom line, it's bad for, and Swallow says, yeah. And Johnson says, it's bad for jobs in Las Vegas. But I'm going to back what you guys are doing here. I'm going to introduce a bill for you. And that was basically it, right? I kid you not, a week later, uh, right after that, Reed leaves with his little entourage, Ray Batar's buddy that flew over there with him from Ireland. I said, how the hell did you guys get him to do that? And he said, let's just say he got a little something in his retirement fund. And I was like, okay, that's how it is. Well, I'm not kidding you. A week later, they have me in their specific. We want a a bank check drawn on the bank's general account. So this is actually something different than what I was talking about before. There was also someone else that came to Johnson allegedly and asked to, you know, get him money, you know, for Reed to make his investigation into his uh, telemarketing crap go away. But this is about online poker specifically. Then Swallow says, "Wow." Johnson says, "For a million dollars to some company, some media thing or something, a cashier's check." This money had better not get traced back to our account under any circumstances. So what do I do? Of course, I go into the bank, tell them I need to pull this out of the bank's general reserve, referring to Sun First Bank, which is held in their account. I don't tell the bank what I'm doing, and I didn't know what I was doing. I was like, I don't know, you know, but I mean, I suspect it, obviously. So I believe, this is my belief, I believe Reed is genuinely on the take. I believe he's getting money for deals all over hell because he's got so much damn influence. And I believe they're on to him. And I think in the grand scheme of things, you're a little nugget or a little piece of the puzzle, but... And Swallow says, I hope so, I hope so, I hope I'm not the big fish or anything. So, that was the conversation. Basically, that a million dollars. Full Tilt asked Jeremy Johnson to get a cashier's check for... One million dollars. And give it to some media company, which I'm wondering if the media company is like some company that was uh, advertising for Full Tilt, and this is just the way that Full Tilt paid them. I don't know what the media company is. But uh, Jeremy Johnson was told to give a uh, a million-dollar cashier check to a media company and um, it looks like they bribed Reed. So either this was Harry Reid's company in some way or Full Tilt gave money to Harry Reid and then this is the way that uh, Johnson pays back Full Tilt. Something like that. But he was very, very much insisting that Reid was on the take there and also uh, someone had come to Johnson. I don't have the transcript of this, but someone had come to Johnson and, and about his telemarketing thing uh, said Reid won at 600000 and that he would uh, try to run interference on the telemarketing investigation. So I believe it. Can't completely trust Jeremy Johnson for sure. I mean, the guy's a telemarketing scammer, but this is all pretty specific stuff. And Harry Reid did come out with a bill about legalizing online poker. 
First he's saying he's against it, and then suddenly he gets bribed, allegedly. And suddenly he's for it. I remember how he just abruptly turned around. So anyway, we'll see. This will be huge if somehow some proof can be found that Harry Reid was bribed to introduce this online poker bill. Unfortunately, while Republicans will rejoice that Harry Reid is going down from this, I'm not saying he will, but if this is proven, he will, this will hurt the possible legalization of online poker because it will make the whole industry look really, really shady. It will put the whole country in a bad mood about online poker if it takes down the Senate Majority Leader. So I kind of have mixed feelings about this. I, I don't like Harry Reid, and I hope he goes down. But I also don't want it to have negative ramifications for the legalization of online poker, which seems to be making progress, as you guys can see. But interesting story for sure. And I always wondered with all these stories from Jeremy Johnson on these tapes about Harry Reid, why they weren't doing more investigation. Why wasn't the U.S. Attorney's Office investigating this? Not saying you can believe everything Johnson's saying, but at least look into it. It's interesting stuff. So, okay, uh, Bubbles is asking. Bubbles is asking for a Ken Scaler update before he falls asleep. It's always nice to hear that your listeners are falling asleep. So I'll give it. Bubbles, here is your Ken Scaler update. Well, Ken Scaler has a roommate. And I posted about this, but I didn't name Ken. But what the hell, I'll tell the whole story here. And some of you will recognize it from the forum, just without Ken's name. Ken Scaler made a series of bets, of prop bets at his job. He's a telemarketer for some shady company that sells, like, toner. And look up these toner companies. You'll see how shady a lot of these are. But anyway... Ken is a telemarketer for them, and he works with a lot of criminals. I keep telling him to quit that job. Number one, they're selling uh, a product in in kind of shady fashion. Number two, he's working with hardened criminals who pretty much are getting that as their first job out of jail. I'm not even exaggerating. They don't treat him well there. Well, Ken was apparently bragging at work how good he is at making sales, and said something like, I bet I could make this many sales in a day if I really tried. I, I forgot what the number was. It doesn't matter. Well, his boss, his supervisor, not the owner of the company, but his supervisor says, I don't think you could make that many sales in a day. I'll bet you. So they made some kind of small bet, I don't know, 50 bucks or something, as to whether or not Ken could make that many sales in a day. Well, Ken couldn't. And the supervisor knew it. The supervisor knew that Ken was getting too cocky here. And Ken lost the bet. But okay, that's Ken's fault. He made a dumb bet, dumb prop bet, and lost it. Well, his supervisor then saw an opportunity and kept challenging Ken to double or nothings. said, hey, Ken, you know, if you still think you can do it, we'll do a double or nothing here. So what they would do is uh, they would make another bet, and then another bet, and another bet. Well, pretty soon, you know, you keep doubling it every time to where Ken just has to win once and then he's off the hook. But if he loses every time, it keeps doubling. 
Well, pretty soon, he ended up owing something like... One million dollars. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't a million. It was like $1,700 or something. Now, for a lot of you guys listening to this show, that doesn't sound like a staggering sum of money, but Ken makes like 10 bucks an hour. He's always living from hand to mouth. So $1,700 is money that he just could not afford. And he told the guy, after he finally quit making these bets, he's like, okay, I I give up. I'm never going to make this many sales, and I owe you all this money, but I I can't pay. I just don't have the money. So his supervisor said, okay, how about we take $30 out of each paycheck? So Ken says, okay. So this goes on for a little while. Ken pays him a few hundred bucks. The guy decides, I don't want to get $30 every time. This is frustrating. It's so slow. So he came to Ken with a new offer. He said to Ken, I will let you off the hook for the remainder of what you owe, which is $1,500, if you let my friend, who also worked at this place, if you let my friend come live with you rent-free for a month and then allow him to start paying rent as your roommate the next month. So Ken agreed. And uh, like the night before the guy was going to move in or two nights before the guy was going to move in, Ken calls me and kind of in a panic saying, well, I don't know if I really want to do this. I don't know if this is a good idea. And by then it was kind of too late. Now, yes, they had no legal way to force Ken to let this guy in his apartment. But the thing is, you don't want to welch on a bet with hardened criminals that they are working their first job since they got out of jail. Uh, It's not like they're forcing Ken to do this for nothing. I mean, he lost bets. They were stupid bets, but Ken willingly made the bets. He did owe the money morally. And um, while the agreement was to pay $30 out of each check, uh, here the guy was going to let Ken off the hook for the remaining 1500 just for a month of half the rent, which is worth about 500 bucks. The only downside to it is that the guy will continue living there. And who knows how reliable this guy is. And it was pretty clear that this guy wasn't reliable because the reason he had to move into Ken's place was because he got kicked out of his previous place. So um, I was trying to have Ken find ways around letting this guy in, but Ken let him in anyway. So this guy lives there. So for the month of February, the guy lived rent-free as per the agreement. But $500 rent was due on March 1st. So on March 1st, I was sure the guy was not going to pay. I shouldn't say sure. I thought there was some chance he would pay on March 1st, but then not pay again the next month. Or maybe he'd pay part of it on March 1st. But surprisingly, on March 1st, the guy came to Ken and handed him $500 cash. So Ken called me and said, well, this is going better than expected. The guy actually paid me $500 cash today. So Ken went and changed the cash into a money order because he can't pay his landlord cash. His mother sends half the rent and he sends half the rent. So I think his rent is $1,000. The landlord has some weird policy that they don't want to accept Ken's rent until the mother's rent comes in, which isn't completely legal, but at the same time, they don't have to accept two different checks because his mother doesn't live there. So they are doing him a favor by accepting two checks in the first place. They could force him to give the whole thousand himself. 
So, bottom line is he had to wait until his mother's check came in, which wasn't in yet on March 1st. So Ken stupidly did not fill out the money order. He left the money order blank. I think you know what's coming. I think you know what's going to happen next. Ken leaves the money order in a drawer, comes home one day, fairly late at night, and finds that the money order is gone. But not only is the money order gone, but everything in the drawer is gone. The drawer has been cleaned out, and he had a lot of worthless stuff in there. A lot of junk, a lot of things with absolutely no value. Now, Ken's roommate was already sleeping. It was late at night. Ken didn't know if the building had sent some exterminators in there because they had some bug problems. There were a number of people that could have come into the apartment that had nothing to do with a roommate. So Ken elected not to wake up the roommate and to ask him about it the next morning. So early the next morning, and, you know, both he and Ken are preparing to go to the same job, which begins at like 8 a.m., Ken asks him, Hey, do you know anything about why my drawers are cleaned out? The roommate says, Oh, man, I'm so sorry. That was me. I got really drunk, and I got sick of how messy the drawers were, and I kept telling you to clean them before, so I just kind of flipped out because I was so drunk and just dumped him in the trash, and then took the trash to the bin and threw it in there. Sorry about that. And Ken's like, yeah, but didn't you see a money order in there? The guy's like, no, no, didn't see a money order. Sorry, man, I just, I just dumped it so fast, I, I had no idea. Well, I didn't believe that. No matter how drunk you are, you don't see a blank money order on top and ignore it or throw it away. I thought there was a tiny chance the guy actually dumped it, but I thought he probably stole it first and then dumped the rest of it, or he may have stolen it and then dumped everything and thought this would be his excuse. Now, since it was a money order, it was somewhat traceable. Now, the money order company, which I called with Ken, and I tried to help him out to track down who did this, we called them up, and they basically said that they won't trace blank money orders. They just don't do that. But I talked them into doing it. And uh, one of the supervisors over there said that uh, we can put a stop on it. They typically don't put a stop on blank money orders, but they will, provided Ken goes and files a police report. So Ken filed the police report. We faxed them to the police report for them to uh, put a stop on the money order. But unfortunately, it was too late because... They let us know later that day that the money order had already been cashed. Real shock, right? So it turned out that the money order was cashed during the afternoon the day before, meaning the day it disappeared. We couldn't get a hold of the money order company until the next day. So it was impossible to put a stop at that point. It had already been cashed the day before. It just hadn't hit their system yet. So, they said they were going to send Ken a copy of the money order and the uh, the information of where it was cashed. However, uh, he hasn't received it yet for whatever reason. I think they forgot to send it or whatever. But here's where it gets really weird. So I told Ken, okay, we know for sure this guy stole it. Because let's say the guy's story is true. Let's say he came home from work at like 2 p.m., which is the earliest he could have possibly come home from, was, come home from work because Ken saw him at work. 
let's say at, after 2 p.m., he got really drunk, which of course takes time to get drunk. You can't get drunk in a second. And really did dump the drawers out into a bag and threw the bag into a big bin in a locked apartment building. Now, for anyone to have stolen the money order at that point, they would have had to climb into the bin and opened up a bag in there and found the money order and done all of this and got into a check cashing place before 6 o'clock. There's no way all that happened before 6 o'clock. If it was a few days later, you could say maybe one of the trash men trying to sort recycle stuff out of the trash found it or somehow a bum got into the building late at night and did this. Or maybe you can find some sort of stretchy way to blame it on someone else. But since it was cashed within hours of when the guy got home from work, clearly not only did he steal it, but he knew what he was doing and he clearly wasn't drunk if he was able to go out to a check cashing place and immediately cash it. So I told Ken... Well, go tell the guy the jig is up and he better get out. And I I told him a number of things to tell the guy, including threatening him with the police and telling him that um, this was on camera where he went to cash it and all that. So Ken was going to do it. At least he told me he would. Then it got strange. Ken went to talk to the guy. But before Ken could say anything, the guy says to him, Oh, man, you know, I feel so bad about throwing that money order away. You know what? I'm going to give you 250 bucks right now because I made that stupid mistake. And he handed Ken 250 bucks. Well, still Ken's out the other 250. The guy then said to Ken, "Look, I want to give you back the whole 500, but I don't have it. But you just wait. Wait a few weeks, I'll get you the rest. I'll get you the rest of that 250 back. You just got to give me a little time." I'm so sorry about this. Now, I still don't believe for a second that this guy didn't steal it, but Ken decided, and I agreed with him, he might as well keep quiet and see if this guy does pay anything further back. Well, the next day, he gave Ken $50. So now Ken was only out 200 A few days later, he gave Ken another $50. So now Ken was only down 150 and still had not revealed that he knew the guy stole it. Ken was still pretending he believed the story. Well, believe it or not, this past Friday, Friday, March 14th, the guy gave Ken 150 bucks, and Ken got all his money back. Really weird. I don't know if the guy needed the money immediately or something and then was paying Ken back from his paychecks. I don't know. I mean, I know he was paying him back from what he was making at work, but isn't that weird to steal the money and then within two weeks pay it back? When Ken never even revealed that he knew the guy did it or threatened that he would get him evicted for it? Really strange. (laughs) So I would have never guessed the guy was actually going to pay the whole 500 back within two weeks. I would have given a tiny percentage to that. Someone's saying he's allergic to jail, but Ken hadn't threatened to do anything about it yet. Ken pretended like he believed the story. My plan was actually for Ken to threaten him with the jail thing and tell him you better pay it back fast or otherwise, you know, I'm going to make sure the charges get pressed on you, that the police are asking for my cooperation, blah, 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 blah. I had a whole speech for Ken to read to him. Turned out it wasn't necessary. (laughs) The guy paid, so... Who knows what's going to happen next month? 
Maybe the guy will pay Ken again and steal it back and pay him back. So weird. So this guy still doesn't know that Ken knows he stole it. <laughs> Always something really strange with Ken Scaler. So that's what's going on with him these days. Well, let me give you my editorials. I have two of them this week. The first one is entitled, As Gamblers Get Dumber, the Players Suffer. Now, I'm not talking about wanting dumb or inexperienced players at your poker table. Obviously, that's good for poker to have more fish in the game. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That's a good thing, and none of us can argue with that. But I'm more speaking about gamblers in relation to casinos. I'm talking about the blackjack rules. I'm talking about the payouts and craps. I'm talking about the looseness of slot machines or the pay tables of video poker. I'm even talking about the rake at the poker table. Now, a long time ago, especially like a few decades ago, there was a belief in Las Vegas that you have to provide good games, good games meaning ones that are not that disadvantageous for the players, or otherwise gamblers will not want to come to your casino. It was thought that if you do not provide blackjack games with good rules for the player, that the players will not play. They'll go elsewhere. It was thought that if you offer video poker with a bad pay table, that the players will know the difference and say, I'm not playing this crap. I'm going to go where the pay table's better. It was thought if you charge too much rake at the poker table, that players will revolt and refuse to play. It was thought that most gamblers were pretty aware. Now, some of this was inaccurate. Some of this was an overestimation of the clientele on the casino's part, but some of it was also true. Gamblers back in the 70s and 80s were much more aware than gamblers of today. There were fewer of them. A lot fewer people went to Las Vegas in the 70s and 80s than they do today. But the average gambler was much more aware of what the rules should be, of what the pay tables should be, of what the odds should be, and they were more willing to avoid the games that were substandard. But slowly over time, as Vegas became more popular, casinos started to realize that a higher and higher percentage of players just had no clue that they were pretty much just playing with very rudimentary knowledge of the games. For example, blackjack. They would know they're supposed to hit to get to 21. They basically knew that if they had 17 or higher, they're supposed to stand. If they had 16 or lower, they're supposed to hit. Unless the dealer's showing a bad card, then you know most of, the, most of them knew they're supposed to stand. But that's about where their knowledge ended. They didn't realize that you're supposed to double on any two cards, you know, have the ability to double on any two cards, that is. They, they, they were fine being restricted to double on hands that are either 9, 10, or 11. They were fine with being paid 6 to 5 for blackjack at single deck. They were fine not being able to double after split. They were fine not being able to surrender. They took these options away, and they noticed they didn't really chase away very many players while very much increasing their bottom line because the casino had a much higher edge. And it wasn't just blackjack. It applied to the craft table. It applied to the slot machines. It applied to the video poker. 
you know, jacks are better video poker, which used to be uh, the most common variant of video poker. Now double-double uh, bonus is the most popular. But when jacks are better was the big thing, so many machines were 9-6, meaning 9 for the full house and 6 for the flush. Now it's very hard to find a 9-6 machine that's not in the high limit room. And even in the high limit room, a lot of them don't exist anymore. So they began to realize that most video poker players were clueless. They didn't know the right strategy. They didn't know the right pay tables and might as well pay them less and make more money off of them. The only limit on how much, how much you lower the pay table really comes from you don't want the gambler to lose too quickly because then they'll have a bad experience and not come back. You want them to feel like they have a chance but ultimately lose. But you really want to lower the chance that they're going to be able to get lucky and beat you, except in the very short term. Now, unfortunately, with more and more gamblers that take such a casual approach, this allows the casinos to make the games worse with very little consequence. In fact, they gain from it. I hate to say it, but one of the pioneers in this was Harris, which is now Caesars, which runs the World Series of Poker. They are the ones that invented 6-5 to five single deck blackjack, meaning you get paid $60 on a $50 bet when you hit blackjack instead of 75 They invented a lot of these decreased odds games. And a lot of the other casinos followed, seeing that it was a good idea. This also hurts us as poker players for a few reasons. First of all, these gamblers lose more money in the pits and they don't have as much to bring to the poker table. But second, the poker rake has gone up too because they realize something else. They realize that most casual poker players care about winning at the poker table, not about paying rake. That they don't really think about the rake. They think about whether they win or lose being based upon whether they win hands. They think about players believing that their wins and losses are dictated by how many bad beats they take rather than how high the rake is. And they're just as willing to pay a high rake as they would be a low rake. So, the rake has gone up too, especially at low-limit games. It's now pretty much impossible to beat low-limit games no matter how good you are because the rake is just too damn high, especially when you're expected to tip a dollar to the dealer every time you win a pot. And I'm not saying the dealer shouldn't be tipped. I'm just saying that that makes it even more expensive to the players. So the bottom line is, as gamblers, as casual gamblers have gotten less aware of the games they're playing, the casinos have taken advantage of it, and I don't even blame them, because the casinos are in business to make money. And I said many, many years ago, when I was much younger and I was seeing these good games being offered, I asked, why are they offering these good games? Because I'm looking at the players around me, and they have no clue that they're actually in a good game. I'll give you an example. Casino Royale, which was on the Strip, still is there. It was uh, pretty close to Harrah's, Center Strip, the shithole. But uh, they used to have a good blackjack game. They used to have a double-deck blackjack game with good odds and good penetration that you could beat as a card counter. And I said, why the hell are they offering this? Because the average player that sat with me was so clueless, they had no idea what a good or bad double-deck game was. They had no idea what good penetration was. They had no idea what good rules were. I'm talking about just about every single player who sat with me at Casino Royale. And so I said, why are they even offering that game so nits like me could come in there and beat them? 
Well, sure enough, they realized it and took it away. But I wondered for years why casinos were still offering these good games when you have enough gamblers who are clueless willing to play the bad ones. So unfortunately, it stretched into the poker rake, and uh, there's really nothing we can do. It's just something I want to mention that was happening. That's why the rake's been going up. Huh, that's Ken Scaler. You know what? Let's call him up. Let's call him up. I'm not going to take this phone call here. I'm going to call him up on the radio. Boom. They just called me. Hello? Yeah, hi. Yeah? So you just called? Who is this? This is Todd. Who do you think it is? Yeah? Yeah. Oh, are you still doing that show? I might be. Great. So what's happening? Do you... Know any listeners in Southern California could watch a cat for a week? Maybe I'll give like a hundred dollars or something. <laughs> That's my answer. Let oh. me see. Let me see if the chat. Anybody in the chat in Southern California who wants to watch a cat for a hundred dollars? Uh, speak now or forever. Hold your peace. It has to stay indoors at all times. Has to stay indoors at all time too. Uh, now, what if they're willing to take it outdoors? Or what if they want to no. take it outdoors? Will will you pay them less? No, they won't. They won't have it. All right. Well, the, so far in the chat room, we're not getting a lot of good response here. All right, that's fine. That's fine. Let's move on. Someone said, "I'll eat that pussy." Referring right. to your cat, that's of course. Funny. Okay. That's that's that, that's not. Funny. So, so is Stephanie still refusing to watch your cat? No, it's sitting in uh, it's sitting in the cold in a cage. Yeah, that's not good. See, this is a separate situation. It's been a cage since 6 in the morning. See, what happened here is uh, Ken has bugs in his apartment, and the the landlord is demanding to exterminate it, like with very little notice, which isn't really legal. But it is true that it's kind of Ken's fault that there's bugs in there. So it's it's kind of a, you know, a balanced thing, kind of fault on both sides. But anyway, they're demanding that his cat get out for a week while they fumigate the place during the day. Ken's at work during the day, so it's fine for him, but the cat won't be at work, so you know they need the cat to be somewhere. So they told him to find a place for the cat, and he's having a hard time finding the cat. So currently it's sitting in a cage in Stephanie's apartment and very unhappy. So It's not in her apartment. It's outside in the balcony. Oh, that's even worse. Well, at least it's a warm night. Is it? It's warmer than usual for this time of year. Oh. Someone asking in the chat, is Stephanie on drugs? She didn't yell. <laughs> No, she yelled all day today, just not now. Oh, maybe her voice hurts. Maybe oh, sorry, don't yell, don't yell. Sorry, no, someone's asking why didn't she yell. Just, there was someone in the chat room from past radio show experiences. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, you were yelling all day. You were fine most of the day. You're yelling because I'm a terrible person. I don't know how to behave. 
So who are the new A-list poker players? Are the new new generation of? Oh, let's, forget, let's forget the A-list poker players. Let's talk about you. So what are you going to do with a cat? I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know if it's going to be sitting in a cage for a week and die. I don't know. Well, has we the have cat food and water in the cage? Has the cat? We eaten? let it out in the hallway. We let it out in the hallway so it can use the litter box. I mean, mm-hmm. it's mostly uh, been in a cage since six a.m. except for like a few minutes here and there. That's not very good. Now I know it's only for a week, but still, uh, if anybody in the chat, room, I would do any. I mean, I, I, I would anything. Do any, I can't take it. I don't have any. I don't have any like rabies shots or the combo shot because it's always been indoors, and and the pet smart will watch and listen to the shots in forty eight hour notice. So well, here, this guy in one. There's a guy named One Step in the chat room. He says if uh, if you give him a blowjob, that he'll watch the. Cat. No, I'm not a fag. I'm okay, not a fag. Okay. okay. Wanted to throw that out back there. Page. You can go on back page for that shit. <laughs> uh, someone said, get a leash and walk it. Okay. They're already putting odds in the chat room of how long the cat will survive. They're putting the over-under. Oh, God, at, uh, this isn't funny. I don't want it to die. They're already putting the over-under at uh, 3.2 days. I don't, I don't understand. Oh, God, 3.2 days? That's the over-under. I really want to... I, I wish Stephanie would just let this cat live in this condo for a week and just, it'll be so easy, you know? Yeah. She already has a cat, though. I don't think there'll be a problem between the two cats. She thinks the cat might not be healthy. Well, Stephanie's kind of crazy is the problem. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why a human being would just let a cat die in a cage. It's, like, crazy. Yep. Well, um, have you consulted your own cat? What does your cat have to say about this? My cat doesn't talk. Well, I beg to differ. I actually asked your cat earlier what your cat thought of this whole thing. This is what this is what he said. Oh, that's not what he said. Oh, that's the wrong, uh, wrong, wrong sound bite here. Sorry about that. But your your cat did have something to say about it earlier. Here we go. That's stupid. Stephanie, let this cat inside the house. Please. I know, but you can have two cats for a... Okay. Meow Mix comes in two varieties, original and seafood middles. A medley of macaroni, tuna, and crunch... I don't know, I have to sit on the floor. I'm on the phone right now. Hold on a second. Hello? Who are you there? No, I'm here. Hello? I'm here. The reason the reason why he cannot come in this house is because he is not... I said it's on the floor. Because he's sick, and he, and I don't want him in this house. Who's sick? Ken is upset. The, the cat. How do you know the cat is sick? Because he looks awful. He's definitely... He's, he just looks... A match. I mean, he's, I don't. I don't know how to. Who was a genius to give Ken the cat in the first place? That was that was really stupid. No, Ken needs some companionship there. Okay, well, guess what? The cat is sick, and he's not coming in this house. But you don't know that. You're just saying he looks sick. You know, how can a cat look sick? Because he just does, and I don't want him in this house with my cat. So that's it. Ken Ken knew about this. I don't know why Ken hasn't given it a bath. Ken doesn't, you know, Ken caused well, so many problems today. In Ken's defense, the, Ken, the, the, the cats always clean themselves. Even cats living in filthy houses are pretty clean, typically. Well, we called a vet, and the vet seems to think differently than you do. What does the vet think? 
the vet thinks it's sick and it cannot live in filth, it will get sick. So that's the vet said. So you don't know everything. Well, no, no, no. They can get sick, but they aren't dirty. It's different. Well, I don't care. I don't know that. I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't want him in this house. And the fact that Ken doesn't, you know, care. Okay, call me down my house. You yelled so much today. I'm probably going to get fined for today. Ken caused so much havoc today. Do you have any idea what you caused? Do you have any idea what you caused today? How many? Because you're what? Meow mix. So, the cat is going to stay in the patio. That's too bad. <clears throat> what? That's too bad. I'm sorry you're to hear that. You. What? That's too bad. And I said, we, we talked to the manager of his apartment building, and they, they can't stand him, and they actually want him to come home with the cat, so they can evict him. They hate him. They want him out. They hate him so much. Well, I don't think they can legally evict him for that. What? I don't think they can't legally evict him for that. They, they don't know what they're talking about. Oh, well, I don't know. But it is true that, hmm. um, you know, if they're going to be fumigating it on their dime, that that's a pretty good deal for Ken. Because they could charge him for it legally. Oh. So, so what's the what's going to happen here? Is the cat going to just sit outside in your balcony in a cage for a week? No. Why do you need a dogkeeper? What? Show? I didn't hear you. You're not part of the show. You're part of you're part of the, the all day show here. Got it? What part of show? What part of show were you at today? Yeah, okay, but you don't. So let us... No, no, I'm on the phone. Go home. Well, the cat's staying here. Go home. Why not? Why not? I don't know. Whatever you want. Go home. Goodbye. Anyway, go on. I'm listening to what you're saying. So what is the plan? Is the cat just going to sit outside for the whole week? What are you... Like, like what's going to happen here? Is the cat going to just sit in a cage on your balcony? I don't understand here. Take it home. Goodbye. Goodbye. Yeah, go ahead. What'd you say? Is the plan for the cat to sit on your balcony in a cage the whole week? No. Then what's going to happen? I want to get a bath, and then it can come in the house. Hmm. You don't have the money. I've been telling you that for days. You don't listen to me. I don't know. I. You know what I think? I, I think this is actually kind of a double standard because you let Ken in the house <laughs> when he doesn't take a bath. <laughs> Isn't that true? Yeah. So why shouldn't the cat be able to come in without a bath? That's a good point. Yeah, you never thought of it that way. No, that's a good point. See, it's not like your house uh, doesn't Are have... Are you being quiet right now? Okay, I have an update here. An important update. What? Nothing related to yeah. this, but... Uh, no. I, I do have an update related to something else to put the proper music on first. Apparently Flipper Fair has won yet another tournament here. I have to wonder if this guy's a super user. Every tournament we have in 2014, this guy wins. We're going to have having a scandal on this site for our free roll. Have to check if he and uh, Belly Buster are in cahoots here. 
No, but uh, seriously, though, congratulations to Flipper Fair for an, yet another win. So what's going to happen? What's going to happen from this point, Stephanie? I have no idea. Well, what's the plan? Like, right now it's almost 9 o'clock at night. What's going to happen from this point? Why? Okay, fine. Okay. Drop the cats, Toy. Ken, can you hear me? On the floor. Why? On the floor. I want to talk. On the floor. Sit, Ubu, yeah. sit. Good dog. Todd, I found a vet that would have seen it for free today, and the shots have only been $35, but Stephanie wouldn't drive to the valley. Hmm. Why didn't you take the bus? Because it closed at 8 o'clock, and I found out about it at 6.30. Jeez. And it was all the way at, it was all the way at Fallbrook and Victory, which is very far. Yep. Stephanie, why wouldn't you drive him to the vet? I begged her. I said I'd give you gas money. I'll give you whatever you wanted. I, I begged Wow, her. whatever she wanted. Wow. Tell him what. what that would have been free. Are you not going to go on? It would have been a free bag. What did you cause all that for me? A storm. So tell him. I, Stephanie. If if you I asked you to take a responsibility. Now. It is my fault. Do it. When he's ready to do it, I'll let you talk to him again. What? Can tell that he cannot. When he's ready to t- tell you what I want him to tell you, he can talk to you. Other well, than I... that, he cannot. Are you ready to tell him the truth? Are you ready to tell him? Yeah, what truth? Now you know. What happened today? What did you cause me, starting from the morning? Because... But you knew. You... No, I didn't. No, I didn't. I said not to get the bath. Why did you get your bath six months ago and you found out about this? The manager's on the phone said he knew about this for months. Why didn't you do it then? Is that common sense? Wait, what did he know about for months? Hold on. He told me he just found out on Friday that he had to get the cat out. You know about this. Okay, I'm on the phone. Okay, I'm done. You were doing this for what reason? Are you winning your case? Are you winning your case? Hello, are you? All right, I've heard enough. This is making no sense. I just, I just can't stand it anymore. I've been getting calls about this for the last few days. Every night it's the same thing about the cat. Tried to talk Stephanie to taking the cat. He even wanted me to take the cat. I, I just can't continue. Just can't. All right, let's move on. Let's look at the uh, text messages I've been getting. Wow. So from the 954 area code, free poker pills in gift bag at the wedding. Referring to the wedding with uh, Jen Larson. Todd, call Casino Morongo and get a job. I heard they're hiring for janitors. This is from someone in 951. Thank you. Someone wants me to be the janitor at Morongo. From 617 in the Boston area, Poker Stars is essentially a monopoly. They are perfect for the U.S. market. They made so much money when full tilts hit the bed. Poker stars will buy their way into the U.S. market legislatively in Congress and state house halls, just like the casino corporations bought the UIGEA. Hashtag joke. 815 area code. What the fuck? It's my boner shit motherfucker. I'll rape whoever said that. This is someone who's jealous about uh, the other guy's boner. Anyhow, this week... 
on the I've got a boner segment, a thigh master is neither, neither a thigh nor a master. Discuss. And that is the first time I've had a boner during the Thigh Masters commercials with Suzanne Thummer, Summers. Now I have a boner. On a different note, where the fuck was my warning text about a surprise show I missed a couple days ago? I feel rejected. And fuck that guy's Jewish boner. What a fucking asshole taking my shit. I might call in to rant at the end of the show. That fucking retard, sad pussy, unoriginal ass motherfucking pussy, cunt prick cocksucker. This is from the guy who always texts me that he has a boner. He has boner jealousy that others are texting me that they have one too. This one from uh, Raw Wolf and 205. I tried to call, gotta go to bed. And finally, from the 716 area code, with the release of millions of dollars of American online poker deposits earlier this year, speculation has ran rampant about the effect, if any, this will have on the live poker scene. With the World Series of Poker fast approaching, it's a worthy question. I've been attempting to compile some relevant data to help find the answer to this very question. Specifically, I hope to collect information on the number of rim jobs being requested from Vegas hookers following the release of player funds. I have strong. I've previously suggested a strong correlation between increased gambling and and, and oral requests. Please advise. The funny thing is, I thought this guy was asking something serious, and <laughs> then he went to rim jobs. I don't think this will have much effect on the World Series, by the way. Maybe it will on rim jobs, but not on the World Series. The World Series is so large. I don't think the release of some full tilt money will increase the player pools that much. A little bit, but not noticeable. So thank you for your text messages. You can send me at 775-372-8355. So, uh, let's move on to the next editorial. You know, there's people in poker who might owe you money. People who may have borrowed it because they claimed uh, they're going to get paid from someone else and they just need the money to get by today. Or maybe they're, a, maybe they're in a casino and they didn't have enough money on them at the moment and they promised to give it back to you once they got home and could get the money that they have uh, they have stored there in a safe or something. And in reality, never paid you back. And there's one of a million, many, many scenarios. Maybe someone made a sports bet with you and never paid you when they lost. A lot of different ways poker players could owe you money. Maybe you did a fantasy football or baseball prop bet with them and they never paid you. There's a lot of ways poker players could owe you money. So what if someone in the poker community owes you money and very few people know about this And it's been going on for a long time. If you call the person out, they may get really, really pissed and say, well, screw you, since you've just damaged my good name, now I'm not paying you. Whereas you're hoping that they will pay you so you don't come forward and say something about it. You're hoping if you keep it quiet that they'll show some appreciation that you kept it quiet and actually pay you, but that once you blow them up as being dishonest, then they feel no obligation to pay you because they feel that their rep is ruined anyway. Or just they won't do it out of spite. So it's very hard to report on someone to the public that owes you, even if they owe you under very shady circumstances where they've been stalling you, where they've been lying to you, where they may have been free-rolling you. It's sometimes very hard to come out to report this in the public because you're afraid it'll make the matter worse. Well, I'm going to tell you in most cases, call them out now. 
Now, when I say now, I don't mean if it's been three days, but I mean if enough time has passed and if the excuses have gotten really terrible and flimsy and it's clear the person has no money and is probably unwilling to pay you unless they come into a major windfall, you should come forward and call them out. Because that is what pressures people to make it right. We just had this situation last week where that guy who won the LAPC high roller ended up paying an old fantasy football debt after he was really, really, really jerking around and being a complete dick to the guy who he owed money to for quite some time. So I've seen very few of these situations where I felt that someone coming out in public and calling out someone who owes the money decreased their chance to get paid. Now, I'm not saying if you call out someone in public, they will always pay you, but I'm saying if you do, it's not going to make the matter any worse in most cases. But here's what I would suggest. I would suggest coming to this person and saying, look, you've had long enough. You've made enough excuses. You need to start sending me payments. If you can't pay the whole thing, you need to start sending regular payments every week on time, even if it's like 100 bucks a week. So start sending payments. If you can't, that's it. I give up. I'm going to bring this public so nobody else falls victim to the same thing as me. Now, if it's a friend of yours, you could put it in a little bit of a nicer way, but still get the message across to them that you're not going to keep this a secret any longer. But give them a chance to make it right first. Give them a chance to start paying you and to regularly pay you to keep you quiet. But if they don't, or if they stall even more, then go out and tell the world. And you may never get paid, but it's not likely to make it worse. And once you've brought it out there, if the person does make it right at this time, for the most part, the public's pretty forgiving. Even if the person was stalling you and free-rolling you, blah, 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 if you end up ultimately getting paid, even though this should not happen, the public tends to forget about it and say, well, there's no story anymore. The person got paid. Never mind you should have been paid a long time ago. Never mind you shouldn't have had to bring it up on a public forum. But never mind, the public doesn't care that much. So the person does have an incentive to restore their reputation by paying you. It also gives them an out to look uh, look like it was all misunderstanding. Gives them an out to come out and say, hey, you know, actually I thought such and such. Uh, here's the money. Sorry about that. So first let them know that you're going to go public with it. And then if they do not pay you, go public with it. That's what you should do. There's a few cases where you shouldn't. Case number one is if this person will then out your dirty laundry in the whole public brouhaha that will do more damage to you than it will to them. Or if it's a case of mutually assured destruction. Mutually assured destruction was a term used a lot in the 1980s referring to the USSR and the United States that both countries could blow each other up but that's the reason they're loading up with nuclear weapons is to scare each other to where both are afraid to ever fire at the other knowing that both countries will blow up if a nuclear war happens and that's what keeps the peace that was discussed a lot in the 1980s that having a lot of nuclear weapons on both sides actually keeps the peace because both sides are afraid of each other kind of the uh geopolitical version of two very big stacks at the poker table sometimes being afraid to play hands together. But 
if there is a mutually assured destruction situation with airing somebody's debts to you and you're afraid that they're going to go tell all your secrets of public nature or of private nature, that is, to the public, maybe it's not worth doing. Maybe then you are stuck dealing with the person privately because it's just not worth it to you to have the person say this. For example, um, let's say you've been cheating on your wife and the person who owes you money knows you've been cheating on your wife. Uh, If you don't want your wife to find out, it's probably not a good idea to blow them up personally for owing you money because they may blow up in public that you've been cheating on your wife and then your wife will find out. That's the type of situation where it's probably better to keep quiet. Another situation where it's better to keep quiet is if the person has a very, very good reputation and you blowing them up will ruin that reputation. But I have to put an asterisk on this in that you have to give them a chance to pay you to save their reputation. If they absolutely will not pay you and stall, 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 then you should blow them up anyway. But I'm saying if someone has a pristine reputation, before blowing them up, you should really give them a chance because there's a higher chance they're going to pay you than someone who already has a crappy reputation. Like Chino Ream doesn't care that much about being blown up. You can blow him up very quickly. Someone with a really good reputation and nobody knows yet does this sort of thing and who typically has taken care of everyone pretty well, uh, give them a little extra time to pay you, not too much extra time, a little extra time to save their rep and make sure they understand. Say, hey, I know you have a very good rep. I know you want to keep that rep. Uh, You really should pay me. Uh, I guess the last situation where you don't necessarily want to blow up someone for owing you money is if they owe a whole lot of people money and to where blowing them up will make them possibly have to pay those other people first before you. But again, that's only if you think there's a chance you're going to get paid. Otherwise, uh, you might as well do it and hope they start paying something to someone. And there's always the socially conscious part of this whole thing in that when you blow someone up, you're actually saving others from being ripped off by this person in the future. So I'm not saying that uh, you should be quiet and let other people get scammed or at least welched on by this person just for your own good. But at the same time, you shouldn't shoot yourself in the foot and blow them up before they have a chance to pay you. But it's very simple. Give them a deadline And if they don't meet that deadline, then make it public. And if you never get paid, so what? At least now you know, you have the satisfaction that their reputation is the way it should be. And that is bad. So it's just about always smart to blow up someone publicly when they have been stalling you for a long time and clearly won't pay. And by the way, someone who's been stalling you for like six months... They're not going to pay you unless something changed. The way people work who owe money in poker is the squeaky wheel gets the grease. The ones who say absolutely nothing about an old debt, they never get paid. Just about never. Every once in a while, a fluke happens where somebody will pay them after a long time just out of guilt or because they come into some money, but just about always they don't get paid. The ones who get paid are the ones constantly on their ass about it, and the ones who really get paid first are the ones who make some kind of threat, such as publicizing the debt. The ones who are the most easygoing about the whole thing 
typically get paid last because they're seen as last priority because they're not any kind of threat. They're not a threat to the reputation. They're not a threat from a hassle standpoint. They're not a threat from a physical standpoint. So they don't get paid. The more pressure you put on, the faster you'll get paid. Let's talk about uh, Dutch Boyd, and then we'll take some questions from the chat room. In the chat room, by the way, JSTAT saying, rule number one, never loan money. That's what banks are for. I have to agree for the most part. Loaning money is usually a very bad idea, unless it's someone you're absolutely sure will pay and absolutely sure just doesn't have access to money at the moment. I guarantee if you see me in a poker room and if I say to you, hey, can you loan me $1,000? I don't have enough money with me. I guarantee I'll be sending you $1,000 as soon as I get home. But there's very few people you can trust that much to actually do that. So... Usually people who need loans in poker, there's... A lot more to the story than what you're hearing, and usually a lot more people that they've already loaned or they've already borrowed from besides you. Usually not the first one. Don't worry too much about ruining a friendship based upon money that was loaned, because if the person's a good friend, they're not going to let a debt go unpaid for years and years and years. They will find a way to pay you. Let's say I was flat broke. Let's say I had some minimum wage job and I owed money to people. I would feel bad about it. I would actually send them a little bit every week, even if it's like 20 bucks. I'd send whatever I could afford. Just about nobody can go years without being able to pay back someone something. Even if it's very little, you can always pay something. You can always live a little bit cheaper. You can always not buy something you were thinking of buying for yourself. I'm not talking about paying rent and paying uh, for your car or whatever, but I'm talking about just any extraneous expense, any expense that you don't have to pay, anything you don't have to get, you can forego and save money and pay someone who you owe. Unfortunately, when you owe people money, a lot of times the attitude people take is, that the ones asking for the money are assholes if they don't really need it at the moment. So if person A is broke and owes money to person B, if person B is fairly well off, person A resents person B for asking for the money, saying, hey, you have money. I shouldn't have to pay you back right now because I'm struggling and you're not. You don't need the money. I do. So F you. No, you borrowed it. Pay, pay the money back like you promised. I don't think anyone would have loaned the money if they thought that a year later they would not be repaid. So don't feel bad about blowing up friends or close acquaintances. These are not good friends. These are people using you. And if they were good friends, they would make sure you got paid back at least something. Oh, I forgot about this story. Someone just mentioned in the chat room. Justin Wade Smith, a guy who loves to borrow money and never pay back using phony stories. Justin Wade Smith has been sentenced Here is the story. 
Let me. He's sentenced in uh, Hawaii. This is on uh, March 11th. A former Hilo man who pleaded guilty to defrauding people out of $1.2 million has been sentenced to more than seven years in federal prison. This is Justin Wade Smith, the guy who cheated Micon out of $12,000. Justin Wade Smith, 32, was arrested last August on 39 counts of wire fraud in connection with a scheme in which he fraudulently collected advance fees from people while promising to repay them back with substantial interest. Prosecutors said Smith falsely claimed that he would repay them with money he would inherit from a large family trust, and he was a contractor for a law enforcement agency and could generate large fees through drug seizures. The scheme netted him more than $1.2 million. It's actually much more than that, by the way. From 2006 to 2012 in Hawaii and elsewhere, by the way, including Las Vegas and Los Angeles. In court, Smith admitted he used the proceeds from the scam to support his lifestyle. Smith pleaded guilty in federal court in December to two two counts of wire fraud and to failing to file a tax return in 2012, during which he received approximately $234,000 in the scheme. That's amazing. He actually was still scamming uh, $234,000 in 2012, even with all that stuff on the Internet about him. I mean, back when he scammed MyCon, there was nothing on the Internet, but uh, so much stuff on the Internet, he still is able to scam $234,000. But now he got busted for tax evasion, kind of like Al Capone. He also admitted to failing to report total income of $1.02 million between 2007 and 2012, with a resulting tax liability of more than $185,000. U.S. District Judge J. Judge J. Michael Seabright sentenced Smith Monday to 87 months on the wire fraud and 12 months for failing to file a tax return with the terms to run concurrently. That doesn't mean that much. I mean, <laughs> running concurrently... I never understood that jail terms that run concurrently. How can you, how can you serve in two places at once? Seabright also ordered Smith to pay restitution of more than 1.2 million to the 33 victims of his scheme. I wonder if that includes Micon and the back taxes. Smith has been in custody since his arrest on August 22, 2013. So there's no way these people will get money back because he really has no skills except scamming. So since his Skill set is scamming, and he can't do that anymore. Uh, he'll never make money again to be able to pay these people back. So good luck, and I bet the IRS wants their money first. They're 185k. I don't know what he'll do when he gets out. Probably start scamming again, is my guess. Uh, he's been in prison since August 22nd, 2013. Uh, he was sentenced to 87 months. He'll probably serve uh, 80% of that minimum. So I guess that's like. Uh, about six more years, or six years from August 22nd. He'll probably get out in mid to late 2019, is my guess. I would have put him away for longer. I mean, this guy ran so many scams and so many people, I would have charged him with, like, every scam individually, and it could have added up to, like, hundreds of years. And you can do that, because you, you can't just keep scamming person after person after person after person in separate scams and say, oh, well, you know, I'm a scammer, so just lump them all into one. It doesn't work that way. If you scam different people in different scams, you, you can actually charge them separately for each one and, and just nail together a whole lot of you know, consecutive sentences. And he could have gone to prison for much longer than seven years. So, Even though some people were saying that sounds like a harsh sentence, I think it's kind of, uh, I wouldn't say a light sentence, but I would think given how long he was scamming and how much he did and how offensive it was, I think it should have been more. So, Justin Wade Smith... Jstat saying it's 
before parole. Well, good. So maybe he'll be in jail till 2020. Someone's asking, who is that individual that called up to Drexel's last show pretending to be Justin Wade Smith? Yeah, we had a we had someone calling into the radio show doing a pretty good imitation of Justin Smith and even calling from a Hawaii number, but it wasn't Justin. Don't know who it was. Finally, before we go into the Ask Dan Druff segment, Dutch Boyd. Let's talk about Dutch Boyd a bit. He has that book on Kickstarter.com. Kickstarter is unbelievable. Kickstarter is basically a site where you go and beg for money to do your own project. So you go to Kickstarter and say, hey, I want to do a project, but I don't feel like putting my own money into it. So how about you give me money to do this project and you won't own any of it. You're just going to give me money for my own project and I'm going to keep it all. (laughs) Uh, It sounds ridiculous, but that's really what Kickstarter is. It's to like kickstart you on your project. Originally, it was kind of like projects the public wants to see, but to where the person doesn't have the means to do it. For example, let's say we had a Kickstarter project for Seriously Serious making a song about poker fraud alert. Seriously Serious says, look, I don't have time for this anymore. I I can't really do this freelance stuff since I'm doing real work for Bluff. Uh, The only way I can really afford to put my time into this is if somebody pays me. So then we have a Kickstarter to pay Seriously Serious to do a Poker Fraud Alert song. Well, I, I, I guess I can see that happening. But at least here it's a small, specific community that's asking for someone to do a service for them. But it's a little different when someone wants to write a book and reap the benefits from that book. Even if the public wants to see that book and read that book, they shouldn't be the one funding it. And if they are, they should get some percentage of the profits. And that's not what most Kickstarter campaigns are offering. Usually they offer just like a free item of whatever is being produced or sometimes some kind of other fringe benefit. Uh, In this case, Dutch Boyd, I think, was offering free poker training or some crap like that if you donate to his book. Here it is. Uh, pledge $5 or more. Get the good feeling of helping a player out as I work on my big comeback. (laughs) That really is funny. So that's what you get for donating $5. $10 or more. An early early release of the PDF ebook emailed to you. Plus, receive updates on my progress. Very generous. Pledge 20 or more. An autographed paperback copy of the book, plus an early release, plus updates on my progress. <laughs> but by the way, if it's to be shipped to outside the U.S., it's another $10. <laughs> Pledge $50 or more, two autographed paperback copies of the book, plus an early release PDF, plus a personalized thank you mention in the acknowledgement segment of the book, and updates of my progress. So, I mean, you're in the acknowledgements, but you're still not getting any piece of his profits from selling it. or more, 30-minute Skype poker lesson, plus two autographed paperback copies, plus early PDF released, plus the acknowledgments thing. 13 people did that. And one person pledged 250 or more, where you get two full hours of the poker lessons in addition to the other stuff. Um, And someone actually pledged 5,000 or more. I wonder who did that. 
ad sponsorship of the book. One full page of the back of the book will be reserved for your ad. I mean, believe it or not, that's the only thing that could be worthwhile, but it had to be a pretty good-selling book to be uh, worth 5000 bucks. So that was on what date? Do we have a date that started? Yeah, April 14th, 2013 is when it was completed with funding. The funding started for this, I think, a year ago. It was completed, the funding. Uh, his goal was $5,000 on April 14th. Since then, it also has accumulated another $3,892 for a total of $8,892 pledged and actually you know, donated to him. From a combination of 128 people. Wow. The book is not out in any shape or form. On March 10th, someone asked on the page any new news regarding the book and progress of it. The last people heard was on January 29th. Hi, all. Book is coming along nicely. We are looking for a few beta test readers to give honest feedback. If you are interested, please email lawrence at pokertilt.com. I'm not sure who uh, Lawrence is. Thanks again for your support, Dutch. Eight days before that, former Donk Down programmer Lauren asked, Any update, guys? <laughs> so I guess, I guess Lauren is a disgruntled investor. wonder how much he gave. Anyway, um... That's the story. On January 29th, supposedly uh, they're almost ready. Here's the last update, January 29th. Beta test readers wanted. Hi, Poker Tilt supporter. The book is finally coming together and we can see the light at the end of the writing tunnel. We're looking for a few beta test readers who would be willing to provide honest feedback providing, prior to providing us a finished product. If you are interested, please submit your information to lawrence at pokertilt.com. We will forward you a copy of our pre-edition as soon as it's ready. Well, I, I guess in a way that's good because it's saying they're close, but it's not like they're saying that they're ready to give out the pre-edition and then change things based upon feedback from whoever reads it and then release the real book. They're saying when the pre-edition is ready. And they haven't updated the pre-edition thing since January 29th, and now we're almost two months later. So this is a disaster. Now, fortunately, it was only uh, a little less than $9,000 total and 5000 from one person. But that's crazy that Dutch Boyd was able, able to collect almost $9,000 for a book he had not even started to write yet. That he could just say, hey, I'm writing a book. If you want to read my book, donate to me. And just don't get anything for it other than an autographed copy and an early PDF release of it and being in the acknowledgement page if you donate enough. I mean, it's crazy. But that's Kickstarter. Kickstarter is really uh, a scammer's paradise. There must be so many projects on Kickstarter that never had any intention of ever uh, completing at least Dutch Boyd, I believe, I believe in his heart he believed he was going to create this book. I don't think this is a lie or a scam. I just think that once Dutch collected the money, he's like, well, now I've got the money. Uh, I don't really feel like writing anymore. And so he's very slowly writing. As I said, I don't think he's he set out here to scam people. I just think he just doesn't have motivation because he's already gotten his money. 
I think a lot of these Kickstarter projects, people come up with an idea. They either don't want to pay for it or they don't have the money to pay for it. And they get suckers on the Internet to fund their idea. And then if they never go through with it, it's like free money. And if they do go through with it, they got free money they really shouldn't have gotten in the first place because it's uh, the people aren't getting anything for it. I, when I first heard of Kickstarter, I really thought it was almost like buying stock in the person. I thought it was like you're investing in a company and you're going to own X percentage of it. And they're going to give you distributions from whatever profits they make. I mean, at least there, it's probably a scam too, but at least there you have some hope that if the project completes, you'll get something out of it. Here it's kind of a lose-lose. In the best case, the person does what they say, and you still get very little other than the warm feeling inside that you help someone complete a project that's going to be making them money. It's crazy. Even if it's a project that doesn't make them money and it's just a project for general interest, Still, why should you be paying for it? The only way I could understand something like Kickstarter, if it's something that's really, really being done with a public interest. Like, let's say let's say I was broke, and let's say I said, look, I need new equipment for Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Poker Fraud Alert Radio is a free show. Nobody pays me to do it. In fact, I lose money running PokerFraudAlert.com every month. So... If you enjoy the show, can you please donate money to me for my new equipment because I can't afford it? And I start a Kickstarter. I need this much money for new equipment. That is, at least it makes sense because you're getting something. You're getting the enjoyment of the show. The show is able to continue. You're getting a free service from me, and you're contributing to my expenses in providing that free service. That makes sense, but not for writing a book that I'm going to sell for profit. Not for any kind of idea that has money potential behind it. Kickstarter is really crazy. I can't believe people fall for that. But unfortunately, a lot of this stuff makes money because there's a lot of good-hearted people. I see that from all the donations we get to our free rolls every week. I see there's people who just want to donate to be nice just because they enjoy the community, just because you know they have some extra money. And to them, it makes them feel good to give 20 bucks, 50 bucks, whatever, to our free roll and make people happy playing it for real money and adding to the fun and adding to the interest of the community. And I think that's great that you people do that. But unfortunately, there's people out there who take advantage of nice people who do things like that. And while I'm not taking advantage of anyone, all the money donated to the free roll you know, goes out to the people who win the free roll and not me, there's a lot of people out there who do Kickstarter projects that end up using it to steal from people, even if that wasn't the original intention. Someone saying in chat, altruism, exactly. It's altruism. JSTAT saying, funders on Kickstarter know each other by reputation, but Boyd used the gullibility of the poker community. I mean, that that's kind of true. But, I mean, how do you get a reputation on Kickstarter? You get a reputation by starting a project and finishing it. I'm sure there's a lot of kick, Kickstarter projects that are first-time projects that are getting funded and that end up being scams in some way. And I think even people who have a good reputation there just don't really deserve the money. I think that, uh, what was that movie? That that poker movie that was released was also a Kickstarter project. Um, Bet Ray's Fold, wasn't that Kickstarter? I never understood that. These guys had money. 
the guys doing BitRaise Fold, why would they need Kickstarter for it? Why should we pay them to make BitRaise Fold? Why don't they make it, and if they have a good project, then sell it to the community? Or why not say, hey, I'm going to do it for free because I love poker? Why don't they do it for free like I do this radio show for free every week? Why not do that? Why not just say, I'm putting out a product that people in my community want to watch, so for that reason I'm going to enjoy doing it? I didn't understand why the BetRaise Fold people use Kickstarter. Except again, just to squeeze free money out of the poker community. I thought it was stupid to be doing that. So in general, I'm not uh, I'm not a fan of Kickstarter. Beer and Poker saying in the chat, they already had the movie they made. Uh, it was already done. They were just using Kickstarter to recoup some of the expenses. I don't know. I'm of the belief that uh, unless you're really doing something for the community good, other people shouldn't be paying for your projects. You should pay for your own projects. Just kind of looks like begging to me. Even if it's not scamming, it's at the very least, very least begging. All right. It is Q&A time. Ask Dan Druff. This is the segment of the show where you ask me anything. You can text me. You can... The text number is 775-FRAUD-55. You can call me, same phone number, 775-372-8355, or you can call the Mile Charleston line, 702-430-1808, or you can ask in the chat room. Here's some text from the 954. I'm listening while working out my Kegel muscle. Federal time is 85%, so around 10 months on every year. So a five-year sentence, individual will serve 50 months. In federal time, you get all good time up, up front and up to you to lose it. State time, you earn your time as you do your sentence. Florida will give you 10 days off per month as long as you're good. They also asked, was Poker by Proxy a Kickstarter? <laughs> no, but it uh, might as well have been. Okay. Ah, oh, jeez. Terrible question in the chat room. APM, referring to Ass Pussy Mouth, Joy Miller, Annie Duke, or Jennifer Larson? This is the, uh, it's a dirty question we used to have on uh, Donk Down Radio. Uh, if you had to have sex in the ass, the pussy, and the mouth of three different women and choose one for each, how would you order them? So they're asking about Joy Miller, Annie Duke, and Jennifer Larson. Well, I, I've only seen one picture of Jennifer Larson. She's not that bad looking. I've seen you know, from that one pic, though. Honestly, you can't tell that much from one picture. I think it's only like a facial picture, too. I've seen her face photoshopped onto a million different bodies, but uh, I don't think she's bad looking. Obviously, I don't think very much of her being a uh, the CEO of Lock Poker scamming everyone. So... I think I'd probably give her the pussy. I think um, Annie Duke, I would have to do the mouth. I think she bragged about how good she was at that, so I, I'd put her to the test on that one. And Joy Miller in the ass for obvious reasons. <laughs> Mainly so I wouldn't have to look at her. 
All right. Uh, are you fascinated by the Malaysian airline? What is your theory? Well, we talked about this on Friday on the on the uh, show that was testing the sound setup here. Me and uh, Raw Wolf had a long discussion back and forth about this. I think the Malaysian airline was diverted by one or both of the pilots at this point. And I think that the passengers didn't call anyone on their cell phones because they didn't realize anything was wrong until it was too late. I think perhaps they had somebody on the plane cooperating with them. Maybe they made everybody give up their cell phones. But I think um, I could even see something like where the pilot says something like, I, I don't even think he has a complice. I think the pilot says something like, we're having such and such mechanical problem or we've been diverted from weather. Probably weather is something he blames it on. Uh, we have to go this other route. Uh, it's important nobody uses your cell phone because uh, it'll interfere with our equipment. Please make sure your cell phones are off as it can be dangerous, blah, blah, blah. Scare people into turn, you know, turning off their cell phones. And um, either just kind of committing suicide by burning off all the plane's fuel and then it crashing down. Or maybe it's landed somewhere. Maybe it's landed somewhere with his uh, terrorist brothers. But I think uh, one or both of the pilots did this. I think if there was one of the pilots, I think one probably killed the other before doing this. So one pilot stabs the other and then tells the rest of the plane who doesn't know the other pilot's dead, that they're diverting for whatever reason. That's why the flight will be longer. That's why they're turning a different direction. Please keep your cell phones off. And then whatever happened from that point, I think it probably crashed, but uh, whatever happened at that point happened, and it was whatever the pilot had planned to do. Someone's saying too high for cell phone service. I don't know. I heard on the uh, 9-11 flights, people were able to use cell phones and not just during the very end before it you know, lowered and hit the towers. I, I heard when they were way up there, they could use cell phones. I don't know how high the uh, Flight 93 was, but I know there were a lot of cell phone calls from there. Um, reading in the chat here. I thought I saw the pilot made it through the metal detector even though it went off. I hadn't heard that. Uh, why commit terrorism or suicide and not have the world know? Well, if they're trying to steal the plane and trying to make everyone think that the plane went down, then you don't want the world to know. You want the world to think the plane is gone. Uh, why commit suicide that way? If you're committing suicide, you're not necessarily thinking rationally. And... You can't really explain his actions at that point. He did turn around, and the plane turned around right before, like right at the perfect time before they entered Vietnamese airspace. They said, all right, good night, then flipped off the transponder and went the other way. Uh, it was really the perfect time to turn around. So I don't believe this is any kind of mechanical problem, and I think even terrorists... For them to be able to get the plane to turn around at the perfect time like that, I don't know if they could have. Druff, did you ever have dandruff when you were younger? 
I've never answered this before. Asked by uh, Beer and Poker in the chat. The answer is yes. I have had dandruff in the past, but I don't have it now. Dandruff is actually worse when you're younger, typically. Once you're in your 40s, even your 30s, uh, dandruff is not as common. So when I was playing as dandruff, I, I really didn't have much of a dandruff problem. But uh, I did have it at one time. But that's not the reason I chose the name. I chose the name uh, just because I thought it was funny. I, I used it on uh, BBSs back in the 80s. When will you fix the chat timestamp? It's a good question. I should. Right now the chat says it's 5.37 p.m. I don't know why. I'll have to try to fix that. How much money have you made playing Limit Hold'em cash games, both online and live? I can't answer that one. I, I know the answer, but I don't want to answer it for various reasons. Good question, though. Let's see. Your thoughts on Phil Jackson joining the Knicks? Um, I don't think it's going to have that much of an impact. He's not joining as a coach. He's joining in the front office. And being a good coach doesn't necessarily mean you're good in the front office. I think it's more of a distraction because the Knicks are such a disaster and they were expected to be good. Like, at least the Lakers were expected to suck. The Knicks people actually had hope for this year and they just have been a disaster. I think it's a distraction from that, and that's it. Kobe Bryant, by the way, is out for the season, and I don't know if he'll ever play basketball again or if he does, if he'll ever be effective at all. I don't think he'll ever be what he once was, but the question is, can he even play again, and can he even play again at a high level? I don't know, but uh, the problem is the Lakers can't really rebuild until he's gone because he's not going to be the number two guy. The Lakers have also said they are not going to spend a lot of money next year. They're going to wait for the big free agent class of 2015. So expect the Lakers to be terrible next year too. Probably not quite as bad. By the way, I want to congratulate BCR, also known as Buster Costa Rica, for winning the Poker Fraud Alert Best Poker Contest. Pet, pet poker. Best Poster Contest. Uh, our username Pooh started a contest on Bracket Geek for both the best and worst poster on Poker Fraud Alert. I haven't looked who's working winning the uh, worst poster, but I know the best poster was won by BCR. There were some technical problems with Bracket Geek that prevented everyone from voting, including myself, so you do have to take keep that in mind. But I think BCR would have won anyway because everyone seems to love him. He is a a universally loved poster, and I do agree that his posts are very, very good, and I always enjoy reading them, even when I don't agree with them. So I actually lost to him in the second-to-last round. I was down to the final four and pitted against BCR. I knew I was going to lose. Last time we had this contest, I actually finished second to Crow Diddley, Somehow Crow Diddley did not even make the Final Four this time. But uh, BCR, the winner this year, C-Money, winning second place. The other person who uh, could have gone on to the Final 
the final two. Could have been Tony Bagadona as he and C-Money tied and the system randomly picks C-Money to go on. That's how Bracket Geek works. Uh, worst poster. The winner was Garrett. Doesn't surprise me. I know a lot of people like to hate on Garrett. He did once co-host this show. And uh, let's see who ended up uh, finishing second to Garrett for Poker Fraud Alert Worst Poster. Let's see. So the ultimate, the second place was uh, Claw the Scammer. (laughs) And Claw only got that far because he was a scammer. Uh, The quarterfinals were Claw, FTP, Jesus, Cletus, and Garrett. I don't know if this is sad here, but... uh, Well, forget about Claw because he's a scammer, but I actually enjoy reading Cletus's posts and... A good deal of Garrett's posts, especially when he's posting about serious topics. You know, when he's fighting with a forum, I don't, don't like to read it. And You know, he, he'll sometimes say stupid things, but he makes a lot of good posts, believe it or not. I've always thought he gets more of a bad rap than he deserves. And uh, FTP Jesus, I, I also think he gets uh, a lot more hell than he deserves. So, Garrett ended up winning the worst poster, but you know, he's still around. I'll say this for Garrett, even with all the hate that is thrown his way, he sticks around. He doesn't let it stop him. And, uh, beer and poker is unhappy in the chat that in the worst poster contest that Sonny and fluffer did not make the finals. I've kind of mixed feelings on fluffer. Fluffer can be a decent poster. It's just a lot of time he chooses not to. I am Greek asks, how are you doing in making seven stars for 2015? Answer, terrible. I have like four tier credits and I need like 150,000. I'm not doing very well at all. How is the $10 limit game at Bellagio? I started a thread on 2 plus 2 and your boy Mason Malmuth responded. That's from Diesel49. I don't know. I don't ever play the 1020 at Bellagio. I will say that the 2040 and 4080 uh, can be good games depending upon when you play them. The The key in those games, I don't know about the 10-20, but the 20-40 and 40-80, you've got to play at the times when the good regulars are not there. So like show up really late at night or whatever off hours, you could find those games and you'll find that uh, the games are a lot better than during the prime hours for all the regulars where you have to play against the nits and the tight aggressives and the people supporting themselves on those games. So uh, I don't know about the 10-20, can't answer that. Let's see here. Did you sign up for the billion-dollar NCAA bracket? No. Felt like it was a waste of time. Uh, He's saying Mason Malmuth claims the 4080 is better than the 1020. I don't believe that for a second. I think Mason's out of touch as far as limit hold'em these days. I think Mason Malmuth is still engaging in, like, late 1980s thinking for limit hold'em. Um... I'm not saying he's a fish, but he just... I don't think he really is in touch with modern limit hold'em to really evaluate what's a good game and what's a bad game. There's a The problem with the 40 is that's where the cream rises to the top. There's usually no game above 40 in limit hold'em that's running. So you get the players who used to play 100, 200, they're not playing 40. When I play at Bellagio, I play 40. So there are some very good players in that game. 
And what I'd like to do is show up late at night when those players have gotten tired and either have gone home or are too tired to really pay attention and play that well. That's when I like to play them. Otherwise, I don't think it's a very good game, even if there's a few fish in there. But if I'm there at like, the radio's off? It says radio not on. Looks like it's on to me. Looks good to me. I guess it went off for a second. That's sad. I don't know what happened there. All right, so any other questions in the chat? Otherwise, we are going to shut this down. Meow Mix comes in two varieties, original and seafood middles. <laughs> Wonder what's going to happen to Ken Scaler's cat. Druff, have you ever had an AIDS test? Yes. Once. Um, or sorry, twice. I had one in the early 90s around the time when everyone was panicking because Magic Johnson was HIV positive. I believe that I didn't do it because I got caught up in the hysteria of Magic Johnson. I thought that was stupid. I did it because I had mono, and the idiot doctor on my college campus, who wasn't exactly an A-list doctor, told me that uh, I was testing. They did some blood test on me or something. They said I had a high indication of a virus presence, and that while it's likely I have mono, I should also get tested for HIV because that shows up the same way. So I did and it was negative. It's also kind of an awkward question. He asked me, have you been having sex with prostitutes or sex with men? I told him no. I don't know if he believed me. I also had an AIDS test in 96 when a girl I was dating was very paranoid and refused to have sex with me unless I took an AIDS test and could prove I was HIV negative. So I did it, and I proved it, and that was the last time I took an AIDS test. I, I guess I could be HIV positive and not know it, but not very likely. Ever had an, H- an STD? Answer, no. Were you concerned about all the strange ass you had from BBSs? Um, not really. Um, you kind of got an idea on the BBSs which girls got around and which ones didn't. I'll say this about girls on BBSs in that uh, a lot of the girls on the BBSs, and of course BBSs were the kind of the early version of the internet. That's where you would meet people online back in the 80s and early 90s. The girls I met on the BBSs were typically on there because they were not meeting guys in real life. Maybe they were shy, uh Maybe there were other reasons. Whatever it was, they felt more comfortable meeting guys over the BBS. So they actually typically didn't have that much of a sexual history beyond the BBS. Now I'm talking about the girls I was meeting back then who were around my age. Now, you know, I wasn't meeting 40-year-olds then because I was young myself. I was a teenager or early 20s myself. So I was meeting young girls because I was young. And uh, so 
of course, they had less of a sexual history to begin with, where a girl who's you know, 35, 40 is usually going to have much more of a history. But, uh, yeah, usually the ones I dealt with, most of their sexual history was from BBS people, and it kind of got around who they were with, so you'd know who was a slut and who wasn't. And, of course, you could always wear a condom if you didn't trust them, and that was, uh, you know, for the most part, good enough to ward off most STDs. I know not completely. You can't be completely safe, but uh, uh, if you had an idea of what was going on and who you were with, you really weren't in much danger and, and it's like anywhere you know wherever you meet girls you can always meet ones that have been with a whole lot of guys and ones that haven't um, let's see here level account asking can I co-host next week sure give it a shot and can Garrett also co-host with me I mean yeah if you guys both want to do it fine send me a PM about it I don't know if you're serious about Garrett. Uh, let's see. What is your opinion of Matt Savage? I don't have that much of an opinion of him. I think he's a pretty good tournament director. Don't have much to say about him either way. What will happen to the cat? I don't know. Um, I know Ken and Stephanie have been fighting crazily about this for the last few days. I think the cat will ultimately be fine. The cat actually originally lived outdoors. And Stephanie was chiding me who was the idiot who brought him the cat. The idiot was actually me. Uh, I thought Ken would enjoy having a cat. And this was a cat that was living outdoors and was going to eventually be dead pretty soon anyway if someone didn't take it in. So the cat seemed like a nice cat. And it is a pretty nice cat. So I gave him the cat. And... He has really enjoyed having the cat and really cares about the cat. Yes, Ken's apartment is dirty, but you know, a cat is an animal. An animal has different standards for what they consider disgusting than a human does. So I'm convinced the cat would be dead if I didn't take the cat and give it to Ken Scaler. Uh, let's see here. Garrett thinks Richard Brody's comb-over is a sonatine dupe. It is not. Druff, do you have any pets yourself? I do not. The last pet I had was many years ago. It was a Springer Spaniel that died in 2001 at the age of 14 and a half. Druff, do you think the Republicans will win enough seats to take over the Senate? It's a hard one. Um, it depends what type of candidates they put out this year. The Republicans have thrown away five Senate seats. They've really thrown away five seats, including the one with Harry Reid, where they should have won but didn't because they put up terrible Tea Party candidates. If they stop putting up the terrible Tea Party candidates, they have a decent chance to take the Senate. If they put up terrible Tea Party candidates, they will not take the Senate. You can't throw away five Senate seats and expect to have the Senate. You can't just toss those in the garbage, and that's what they've done. Let's see here. Uh, by the way, the, the cat is not emaciated. It uh, it looks like a normal cat when you see it. Druff, do you think we are all gay? Strange question from Level Account. No. Uh, as far as I know, we only have 
two gay people who listen to the show, though maybe there's more, but only two have identified themselves, PLOL and One Step. What's your favorite sub from Subway? Uh, I like either the uh, buffalo chicken or the pastrami. I, I recently have been more partial to the buffalo chicken, actually. But I don't go to Subway very often. And there actually is a variance in the quality of Subways, strangely enough. Do you watch The O'Reilly Factor? Do you watch House of Cards? I don't watch House of Cards, and uh, The O'Reilly Factor I will watch occasionally, but I'm not a loyal follower of it. Let's see. Any other questions in the chat room? I'll do this every week when I have time. Any other questions? If we don't get any, the show is shutting itself down. No? All right. Oh, we have some more questions here. Let's stop the music. All right. How many times were you on Howard Stern? I only appeared on Howard Stern once, but it was rerun six more times, including during the FME Awards, where I was nominated for one. Let's see. What is up with the Cubs firing their psychologist? I don't know. I don't know if the Cubs are ever going to win. They're just a mess year after year. You know, the Dodgers have to take credit for ruining one of the Cubs' few chances to actually win a World Series. The Cubs had a really good team in 08, and the Dodgers swept them three games to nothing in the playoffs, partially thanks to a heavily roided Manny Ramirez. But also the Cubs just played like crap. And that can happen in a five-game series. Let's see. All right, I think the quality of questions in the chat has gone down, and I'm comfortable ending the show at this point. So, this has been another edition of the Druff and Friends Show on Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Look for the A Brown 83 show, whatever it's going to be called, sometime probably this month. Very soon I will be announcing the pricing and the way you can purchase pieces of me in the World Series of Poker. And I will be confirming the preliminary schedule I posted. I believe it will be the same schedule as has already been posted. And you can follow along on Twitter as I play World Series events. I had a dream about the World Series. I had a dream about the main event last night. That I was in the main event and uh, something weird happened and I missed the final one and a half levels just something weird happened I just wasn't there for it I was sure I got blinded off and then came to look and saw I made day two with a bigger stack than I had left at the table and I didn't understand it (laughs) and I was sitting here trying to figure out how I could have gotten that many chips when I left the table with fewer chips somehow I won pots despite not being there Vinny Vin should learn that trick Vinny Vin has been playing at Commerce by the way I guess he's not dead yet so, we will see over the next week what will we find out. Will we finally learn the story of the Malaysian jet? Will more lock poker affiliates stop being lock poker affiliates? 
And will California make any further progress towards getting legalized online poker? We will find these things out, maybe, and many more things as the time rolls on, as the weeks pass by. For this show, Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friend Show, I'm Todd Dandruff. We'll tell us thank you for listening. I will see you next week, 6.30 Pacific Time or thereabouts. Shalom.